All right, folks. Guess who it is? That's right. It's Pops with a powwow with Pops. I'm finally on that uh, podcast tour that I was bragging about that I was going to do. Uh, but in deep inside, actually, there was much anxiety to do this because I, uh, I've never traveled by myself without my wife uh, in all the years. Uh, so I, I was actually pretty nervous about doing this on my own because I never really have traveled uh, this distance and been this uh, away from anything that's comfortable for me for such a long period of time. But... I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, the drive was from uh, Gainesville to where I am now, which is Culpeper, Virginia. Um, it was about ten hours. It was a it was a great drive. No rain. Um, lots of lots of assholes on the road, of course. Lots of lots of brake riders. Lots of dicks. Um, and I, I made it. I got here a little bit later than I wanted to. But um, my first person that I ended up coming across and staying with here in Culpeper, the main, one, of the main reasons, one of the main reasons why I came here was to come and speak with a good old friend of mine that I've known for about 16 years now. I was luckily introduced to him uh, through my, uh, my wife and my girlfriend at the time. Uh, they were friends prior to me ever even meeting her or him. And... Uh, I'm glad I got a chance to meet him. He's uh, probably one of the most straightforward people I've ever met. Uh, he's got a big heart. Uh, he's a good musician. Uh, he's got an artist's mind, for sure. Um, he's an empathetic and sympathetic person, which I've come to find out over the years. Um, and I and I would have to say I'd probably consider him family. So, Very sweet. Thank you. Um, it's all very true, too. It is very Tenfold. true. Tenfold. Tenfold. over. But uh, my guest that I have today, my brother in arms, uh, is Brian Weiler. What's up, man? What's up, buddy? Man, I'm telling you, I, I know I've been here for two days now, and we've been talking and talking and talking. <laughs> but yeah. me and you are both good at talking, so I don't think yeah. that's going to be an issue. Quite an introduction, too. Well, you're a great guy. Oh. <laughs> Deservedly so, I suppose. Yes. And so are you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So are you, that. Jason. Thank you. Oh, don't call me Jason. <laughs> <laughs> you were a great guy. I was so a great guy. Call, yeah, call me Jason. Call me we'll the see. name. Yeah. The given me, name of the Kogar clan. Call me Psycho. <laughs> call me Psycho. Nobody calls Psycho. me Jason. Nobody call, yeah. call me Jason. Call me Headbutt. Well, when I first when I first met you, yeah, was before you obviously remember meeting me. Because it was more like oh, it was at the it was, it was at the Cuban Embassy. You were playing guitar with Kevin them in the basement of Drew and them's right, apartment. That's true. And I was scared. That was before. I didn't want to say anything that might lead you to hit me. Because all I ever saw you do before that day was punch people in the face with the hardback and stuff. So I was like, right. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I've retired from those days. But we cannot pretend it never happened. Yeah, or that that reputation has not. <laughs> You know, trail along behind you like a sled. For 20 years? Yes. No, definitely. So, anyways, um, yeah, I remember we were jamming out. And at the, uh, it wasn't the Cuban Embassy, it was next door. It was the, the what they called the... Uh, yeah, what was that part? It was on? the Cloven Hoofs. The Cloven right. Hoofs, yeah. that's right. Yeah, and uh, that's where the first Black Sabbath yeah. uh, show, show was, was in 1999. Yeah. And, uh, that's the night I met Chrissy. Yeah, that was an epic, epic show. Um, but we were, it was an epic night. We were planning for that event. We came over and hung out. And actually, the truth was, 
We were also making a kung fu movie, James Ross and I. Yes, I remember him talking about yeah. that. We were setting up a set in his basement to create a make a cafe. And we were creating this. It was such an awesome idea. It was called Death Touch, and I still have the original footage Death for it. Touch. Yeah. Let me write Which, that down. Yeah, Death Touch. <laughs> Which James taught me because James Ross was an amazing, is an amazing human. I haven't heard from him in so long, so I hate to talk to him. I miss you, James Ross. If you're out there in the world, brother, yeah. everybody misses you very much. We yeah. care about you and we love you. This dude was like, is one of the smartest guys I ever met. Even though he would tell you that, and a martial just artist the opposite. At that fact. Yes, and the martial arts part is he's the one that taught me about what death touch was, which is actually the term dim mock. Mm-hmm. And there's like dim mock records. People have used that name. There's like, you know, Jim Mock means death touch, and it's this idea in Kung Fu where if you, you have all this, uh, I guess... Your chi. Yeah, you use all your chi, and you can actually just push your energy towards somebody and basically just touch them to kill them. Yeah. Okay. So so I thought that was the ultimate thing, and he we wanted to start that and make that a band. We were like, let's... I was like, death touch needs to be the name of our band, and I was like, and then he came up with these other Kung Fu terms that were all awesome, and we, were, we threw them around. But in the meantime, you know, I'm all artsy and I like to do <laughs> photography and video right. and bands. And so, like, we, uh, um, I started, came up with this idea to make a script and to make a kung fu film that was, uh, starred my, at the time, three-year-old son, Oliver, and, uh, and James. And it had Shannon Bailey was going to yeah. be in it. And, uh, and and I think Chrissy was going to be in it because she was our default Asian friend that we could actually uh, play it <laughs> off and make it look like we we, we, knew, right, right, right. we had some sort of input from the, the right side of the globe or whatever. Right, right. But, like That's Chrissy awesome. has any idea about anything that has to do with kung fu? But anyway, she does not. No, and uh, and she hates it when I use it on her. Yeah, too. she's not even a good fighter. So <laughs> no. yeah. She's really good. She fights well with words. Yes. She's really sharp. She got it. She got it. She's she's got. Uh, I would have to say. Her words cut like, yeah. um, um, like, how do they cut? Like Conan sword. There you go. Yeah. It's a Conan. It's like picture, <laughs> picture Conan knocking you out with she's, a fucking word. Yeah, she's the master of vitriol. She's, uh, she <laughs> and I don't even know what that word means, but hurt, I bet you it's she true. She can hurt you. Chrissy knows. <laughs> she knows. And Chrissy, yeah, anyways, let's not get into Chrissy. Yeah. Dad. We can go for like days yes. talking about all of her Years. ups and downs. Okay, James Roth, <laughs> Death Touch. So, so we were making this, uh, I had written this script and we were making the film and we were downstairs setting up this scene and we were really moving along. Yeah. We had already filmed a bunch of the preliminary shots and all this kind of stuff. And what we were going to do is make this film, and it was a real kung fu film, um, with a real plot that was written in English yeah. and it was going to be overdubbed in English but it was going to be fake fake, fake mouth like. fake mouthed Chinese so we were okay. going to have so we we're going it's to have like, just like they would do in the yeah. old Chinese right like somebody would be off like I was I was off side of the camera saying what the line was in English and, and then James would be like you know Man, Chong, well, I'll try and make his voice do that but you would never hear it because it would be overdubbed. You just, all you're seeing is the mouth. Yeah, and we, we were going to overdub afterwards and be like, <laughs> and talk all monotone yeah. like they would. And What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, it was, I thought it was the greatest idea <laughs> that ever. That sounds funny. It, it was funny. And I never did. And But the thing was, the movie was going to be serious. Like, it was a real serious thing. Like, there was like a whole like, rape thing in it. That, oh, like, wow. Yeah, where yeah. it was a vengeance from some, from his sister being right. raped and all this crazy stuff. So it was like this real 
thing, but it was going to be comical. It was like a dark comedy. Yeah. That's what I was going for. And so anyways, we were planning that. Kind of like Kung Fu Hassle with rape in it. <laughs> with rape, yeah. There's always that extra, you know, with rape. With rape. Um, so anyways, we, uh, we were working on that the first time I met you, and you were, you were just hanging out. And I was, I just remember being like kind of intimidated, like a little bit, like, like, James, what's that dude? What's, and he's like, do you know, do you know Pops? You know, yeah. and I'm like, I'm like, I know who he is, man. And I'm like, what's he gonna, like, you know, I don't wanna say the wrong thing, I'm gonna get punched in the face. I mean, really, you had that reputation going around that you were a mad person, you know what I mean? And there was a, there was a skinhead faction in yeah. Gainesville in, in 98, 99. Yeah. It still existed, and they and it it was like the the tail end of people being skinheads and dicks, and then guys growing up and, and becoming, being, becoming cool. Yeah. Like I'm not saying little Mike or yeah, any yeah, of those yeah. guys, but I love all those guys. Yeah, yeah, totally. But for a little while, when I first moved there and I show up wearing a Fred Perry shirt, I'd be like, people would yeah, I still feel like I might get into a fight with people <laughs> yeah, right, that right. thought that were like, dude, you, you know, Why you, you were, yeah, were, you a skinhead? I'm yeah. like, you know, whatever. Uh, former uh, relative retired. to, yeah, retired to my youthfulness, you know, whatever. I still love all yeah. my English clothing and I'm not giving it up. Yeah, yeah. So there was that going on, but, but far less than any other town you could ever be in in Florida at the time, which, you know, moving from Melbourne. How you just said Fred Perry? Yeah. That's funny you said that. Um, Advertising advice out there for Fred Perry and Doc Martens, if you guys are ever interested in, you know, helping out a podcaster, I'm your man. So Fred Perry, I will test the shirts out first. I will test them out. send them to Jay. Yes. Brian will test them out. And then if they don't fit right... Well, we have a plethora of friends that would enjoy, enjoy it. Yeah, no to wear kidding. some free Doc Martin clothing. Okay, well, the, let me say something. Uh, I just want to ask you, right off the get-go, um, where were you born? I was born in Massachusetts. Whereabouts? In the South Shore in Weymouth, Massachusetts. And How long did you all live there? Um... I lived in the Boston, greater Boston suburbs until I was in first grade. Okay. And then we moved down to uh, New Jersey. Okay. And how long were you in Jersey for? Um, I was there till seventh grade. Okay. Um, what What was that? Into seventh grade. What was that like growing up in New Jersey? Well, I'm saying, what year was that about? I'm going to tell people how old no, I am. No, no, I'm just saying. saying what? <laughs> it was the 70s. Okay. Uh, what was it like there in the 70s? Like, what was that? What was... I mean, because I, I mean, I grew up in Florida, yeah. of course, and, it's, and like, I always right, where miss I, New yeah. the North. And No, where I lived in New Jersey was very unique because it was a... In the summertime, it was a resort island, basically. That okay. was a summertime destination for people from New York and Philadelphia. And uh, they... Uh, we had we were islanders, so we lived there year round. And there was a, it, like the island population. So you, the people that lived out on the barrier islands that was yeah, their nickname, barrier, islanders. Yeah, we, yeah, we lived on the barrier island, Long Beach Island, New Jersey, and and uh, we were there for you know, like I said, the whole year. And in the winter time, the population might have been five thousand or ten, fifteen, no, ten thousand people. Right. In the summertime, it was like seventy thousand. So it was just it was like being in the Outer Banks or any of these other places that are like that were. You know, in the in the winter, nobody wants to be there unless you own a business or you support the summertime right. stuff. My dad worked for AT and T, so he that's why we kept we moved 
a bunch because was he, he a, what, did, was he just like one of those phone dudes that did the like check the boxes no, on the no, side he wasn't, of the road? Yeah, he was like a he was a little bit more tech than that. He worked, okay. In New Jersey, they had a thing called the Bermuda Cable. And at the time, in order to get, I think, phone and data service out to, and this is in the 70s, out to Bermuda, they ran, an under, they ran an underground cable that went from Bermuda to Long Beach Island, Maryland, Manahawken, New Jersey. And my dad ran, worked at the station where they, where they uh, took care of the... Uh, the daily maintenance of that not physical I think as much as like the input and output that they had for that system I think he was he was a little bit more computer related he'd take me there and there would be he took me there in the the 70s and early 80s and there would be these massive what you see in like computers yeah like in war games yeah yeah it looked like war games in there it's like WAPA yeah it was it was the (laughs) WAPA but it was the Bermuda cable it's cool in order for them to get some communication out to Bermuda they had to actually run a physical cable under the Atlantic Ocean yeah. all the way to Bermuda. That's crazy, isn't it? Now you don't think about that at all. You're like, everything's done by satellites. You don't even that's think how they, about that's that. That's how they ran a cable to Europe. Yeah. Underwater. Like, I actually watched a thing on that. Like, yeah, yeah. how the big boats that just drop the cables it's when crazy. they go. Yeah, it's nuts. So well, that stuff's still laying under the bottom of the ocean. I imagine Corroding. What, yeah, imagine what the... And the fish uh, are dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it, too much asbestos in there. No, who knows what they made that stuff out of back then. It's all parts of nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons, asbestos, and any, everything that's not good for yeah. anybody. Yeah. So <laughs> we went. So we went up there, and it was. Uh, it was. It was awesome. It was weird. Did was, I mean as a child? Though I mean, was it a? You said it was good. I mean, was it a? Was it one of those places like as you moved on through life, like one of those places that you wish you didn't move away from? No, because. I don't. I don't regret moving away from anywhere I've moved out of. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that the world's got way more to offer than yeah, yeah. stuck in one place. You know. So Even, you're like a traveling mulberry. You, uh-huh. do, you just like, they don't really. You like to but, see stuff. Yeah, but I've been. Thank God I'm 45 years old because it's given me plenty of time to like attach myself to a place for a while. It's not like I. I'm definitely not like a. I'm not like traveling Matt or wherever. Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. Or Gen. Gen likes to move around a lot. Gen, but see, even Gen stayed in Gainesville for a long time. Yeah, that's true. In Colorado for a long time. And then back to say, I've been here in Culpeper now for eight years. Which I can't believe it's been that long. I was in. I lived in Gainesville for twelve, almost twelve years. And then how? And you were. And you were. And so after Jersey, did you move down to Florida to Melbourne? To Virginia. Okay, so Jersey. Right up north of here. So Mass, Jersey, Virginia. Mm And then, and how long were you in Virginia for? From seventh grade till twelfth grade. Oh shoot! So you like your formative years as oh, like yeah. growing up as all my troubled years. years. So what years. was, what was, what were you there? I mean, you have a, a younger and older brother. Mm-hmm. Both younger. I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Okay. Yeah. You look good for being the oldest. No, I gotta I say that. I know. Those other two. Terrible. Can't believe it. Age is kicking y'all. I think I got but. all my hair still. I've got yep. this nice pompadour. Look, not, I haven't been balding for the last ten years at all. Looks looking good. <laughs> so, uh, what was what was life like in Virginia growing up between seventh and twelfth grade? Well, it, first of all, as far as being a punk, it was awesome because I happened to grow up in the '80s in Northern Virginia, a DC suburb. Oh, so you're in a DC suburb? Yeah. So it, you know, we were twenty. I think physically we were like 29 miles from D.C. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and even though it took longer than that to get there because of traffic and stuff, but, like, it, even, it seemed like a 
a world away from our little because we seemed like we were still out in the sticks. But so, so, so you were in a, another small town. We, yeah, well, Manassas is where I like, went to high school. Okay, and what, John Wayne Bobbitt. Was where, it like ten thousand people, cutoff. fifteen thousand population, no, twenty thousand? No, no, I think Manassas was. I I assume it's probably back then. It was probably more like fifty thousand okay, people 50, or something, 000. or more in the sub or surrounding areas, and that kind of blended into the. Next town is over Centerville and Fairfax yeah. and then, uh, Alexandria, and then you're into D- to D.C. So, anyways, when we grew up there, it was pretty amazing because that's when the whole D.C. hardcore scene sub-pop. was rolling. Not sub-pop. Dis- Discord. Oh, Discord. Discord. Okay. Wrong coast. Uh, Wrong coast. coast. Ron Washington. <laughs> you're getting your Washington's confused I am getting again, Jay. I'm putting the wrong this is, this is DC. This has DC afterwards. <laughs> God, yeah, we had no flannel shirts. Oh, we might have flannel shirts, but we were the rednecks with the flannel shirts sure, in the right. suburbs going in, <laughs> hanging out with all these DC punks. But, yeah. but we, we, you know, we grew up and and watched in high school all these great bands like Dag Nasty and King Face and Soulside and like all the kind of second generation DC punk scene. Yeah, was rolling like Scream and. GI and Bad Brains, and I saw all those bands. So play. this is like so, probably around 1987, 88. Uh, even earlier, really, because we were like big. I was big into skateboarding. Okay. So I started skateboarding. If you if we backed it up, I started skateboarding in New Jersey. Oh, shit, okay. In like um, probably 81, when I was 10, I really actually literally like became kind of obsessed with it, and I didn't have a. I bought. I like saved up all my money from working at this crappy yeah. fish store job that I had and I bought one Kryptonic skateboard wheel and and like at a time like oh and dude I, I, never I, even, yeah, yeah. I never even completed the set I think I bought three but I couldn't afford because it was like they were expensive I was making a dollar an hour yeah they were, was like, they were like they were still four or five bucks a wheel yep I was paying twenty dollars for a set of wheels I didn't even come across that kind of money my parents like we did not have that kind of money yeah. we were Pretty working class folks. Working class, and there wasn't a lot flowing my way. That's for sure. Yeah. I had to earn what I got. Yeah. I had a job when I was twelve. That's how I grew up. Like, look, if you didn't, if you didn't go out, and if earn you want it, you something, you gotta it. go get it. Yeah, you gotta go get it, and that stuck with me for forever. And thank my parents for that, even if it was unintentional. They yeah. were just like they didn't have a choice, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you gotta pick that up. Some kids pick it up, some don't. But like, so anyways, um, I did. so yeah, we got big into the. Yeah, we, yeah, we did. We're all self. Yeah. We all oh, learn how to self-preserve. Just one second. Hi Beth. Yeah, we gotta thank my wife every. Yeah, thank my wife. Uh, I gotta thank my wife. Take a time out to thank my wife. All right, go ahead, Beth. Beth, why not? Um, we promised her. Or I didn't so, promise. I was forced. I said I would. My arm twisted. <laughs> to get a tattoo after this of her yeah. name. Um, Maybe you won't have to. So. But anyways, yeah, we were like super big into skateboarding and like. Um, we built, you know, by the time we moved to Virginia, our, my whole neighborhood got into it, all the guys did, yeah. and we built a major, like, half pipe uh, on the property that, of one of my friend's house. We got, um, I had one in my backyard, guys, they had one. Did we, you guys do it punk style? Did you steal all the wood, all the materials, or did you buy everything? Just in case, uh, I don't want to incriminate myself, but I will oh, say Oh, it's that, been long enough. Just say you past, borrowed some stuff. I still have receipts <laughs> that I'm holding on to from 84 Lumber to show that I did pay for something. But let's just say that the housing boom in Northern Virginia at the time was beneficial towards our uh, yes. building of, of skateboarding structures. It was for us in Sarasota oh as well. God. I mean, I could tell you some stories, and they're crazy. We, and, we, we stole enough wood to build, it's was, it was called the Dove Street Ramp, yeah. and the kid that ran it was a ginger... It was in his yard. He's like this ginger kid. His name Herky Miller. Uh, oh, ginger name. Right? 
Like totally off the wall. Coolest. Coolest, coolest dude. Just it was him and his dad. You know, like his dad was this old school dude. Like he actually this was like the guy that we hung out with, like we stole all the wood to build a twenty four foot wide, twelve foot high ramp. Oh, awesome. All the tools we stole from those, all the nails. Mm-hmm. Like they had sewn uh, pockets inside of their baggy mm-hmm. pants yeah. so they could just drop hammers in there and you wouldn't be able to tell. You could right. walk out with a hammer and a saw blade and everything. Yeah. So that's how we did it. Yeah, my friends were big into the uh, trench coat. Yeah, trench coat's a good one. Trench coat was, uh, you know, hey, I can get six saw blades in my trench coat. Yeah. Like, do we need six saw blades? We I don't might. Know, but, but we might, and they're, they're <laughs> worth like $140. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here they are. Like, it was like, you know, at the end of the day, it was like a pile of what are you contributing in your yeah, thievery yeah. to our. <laughs> exactly. You know, what do you what what bounty have you brought? Exactly. I mean, really, you pillaging. have to contribute. Yeah, yeah. Just to be in if you want to ride, if you want to ride the yeah. ramp, you had to. Get you had to something. build. You had to get something. See, I gave, it was. I didn't even. I couldn't even skate, and I gave my car up. You know, like my car was the car that at two o'clock in the morning we'd be driving on these back dirt roads into yeah. these large construction areas, and we'd be like holding plywood on top of the car, driving, hoping that troopers wouldn't, you know, whatever, come by. Yeah. So you no. so you guys build a ramp. You're yeah. skating. Oh yeah. You're getting into the punk scene. Right. You're hitting all that stuff up. I mean, are are you are your younger brothers? Are they around? Are they yeah, my, getting involved my brother, with you? My brother, with my brother or? Peter, who's uh, really three years younger than me. He unfortunately for him um, was like he like growing up. He was my best friend. You know, yeah. like we hung out all the time because we move we would move and we always had each other. So um, we did everything. He kind of did everything I did as a little brother, um, but which was great. And then also at the same time, it was like for him, he was like 14, hanging out with a bunch of 17 year olds that were like, you know, doing not doing good stuff. stuff. Yeah, you know, already starting to drink and people doing drugs and you know, I, I'm not, you know, I was, I was an upstanding citizen compared to. Uh, a lot of my friends, yeah, and they were good people, but they were just dabbling in some bad stuff. And Peter, they like they were doing they yeah. were doing the fun stuff at yeah, that so, time. So Peter's being influenced by my friends hanging out with them, and he saw some stuff that you probably shouldn't see when you're 14, you yeah. know, or even younger, 13, whatever we were. And so you know, even God, he was probably 12 when we were 15. So <laughs> right. like, we were, you know, bad. he's very young. Yeah, he yeah. was. So he was, but he skated and he was into it, um, and you know, he. Like the the our whole group were like had older brothers and younger brothers and everything like everybody yeah. does, but we were I think our main our main focus was skateboarding and then and then music just follows skateboarding naturally. So, and okay, so time you're, was punk rock. You're skateboarding and you're doing this stuff at this time period. Yeah. When did you decide to pick up a guitar? Um, no, that was one of those things that ever since I was a little kid, for some reason I just wanted to play a guitar and like I would. I think my mom gave me an acoustic guitar when I was like, like nine or ten. Like, was it like a Christmas gift? Uh, yeah, it was like a Christmas gift. I was okay. like nine or ten or something. I only, I had it for like a week, and my uncle stepped on it, and broke it. Like, <laughs> I had left it on the stairs, and he smashed it. And it made me want to like. Are you sure you didn't John Belushi that shit like an yeah. Animal House? You start playing some song, you drown. I wish I was. I probably would have. The truth is, because we were, we were like obsessed with music from the beginning. Okay. I mean. So your parents were into music and stuff too. As far back as okay, I can cool. remember, like my mom had a big, big set of forty fives. Yeah, and it was all like Elvis Presley and the Beatles and Her shit. and uh, yeah. um, you know 
I mean, I would I would get like "Hang On Sloopy" by the McCoys. Yeah, yeah. I would listen to that song like every day. What's like, the What's the What's the name of that? What's the Hang On Sloopy? It's Sloopy. Yeah, Sloopy. Do you know what? It's a girl named Sloopy. You know, you know. Do you want to hear town. something funny? What? I I never knew it was Sloopy. Yeah, Take a guess what I thought they were saying. Snoopy. The, yeah, the whole time. Yeah. Fucking for fucking the past forty years, I swear to you, my wife gives me shit because like, like I like, you're the bad. I'm the bad guy. lyric guy. Yeah. Like yeah. when I did that with the, uh, what was it, um, the Sultans of Suede. Sultan of Swing. Yeah, but yeah. I always thought he was saying Sultans of Suede. Sure. Because that's what it sounded like to me, and we were like every time Chrissy laughs at me because I'll be singing, and I'll just totally like sing the wrong word, and she'll look at me, and she's like, you know that's not word right now it's like it is now <laughs> in my song it is uh, what's, it, what's like, the dude's name from Joe Dirt David David Spade David Spade yeah you ever hear that piece where he's like he's saying like man I was at this U2 concert and I was like and this is like an, an old piece that you yeah, yeah. back in the 80s and he's like he's like I'm with my friend and you know we're sitting there and they're, we're, all the crowd starts chanting and you know you can never really tell what they're saying yeah, yeah. and they're all going like He's, he's thinking they're all going, no more, no more. Like they're hating like yeah. you too or whatever. But really they're yelling like, no war. Oh, and like no for war. Like, yeah, yeah. But he's yelling, no more. And his friend's like, what are you saying? And, and, and like everybody's like stops and like turn around and look at him because he's the guy yelling, no, <laughs> no more. more. And they're like, what the hell's wrong with you? But it's like one of those deals, you know, where That's you, awesome. you go your own, yeah, you can just totally embarrass yourself. <laughs> no more. And, and 3,000 people turn around yeah. and they're like, no war, asshole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Innocent misinterpretations. Like, hang on, hang on, Snoopy. Snoopy. You yeah. missed the whole point of that song yeah I, the song like, never made sense a, to me I was like this. why is this right. person like this Snoopy cartoon so much Snoopy lives in a bad part of town I thought Snoopy yeah. lived in a doghouse in a nice backyard <laughs> and had a bunch of human friends I mean the Peanuts kids didn't look that rough yeah no <laughs> I mean Snoopy did have that shit with Red Baron but we won't get into that <laughs> so but I'll tell you this much for real Snoop, the Hang On Sloopy song yeah was impactful for me because it like I was an empathetic kid and I yeah. thought man like it just that's related to the yeah. kid being on the bad side of town and the, and the kind of the Romeo and Juliet like type of thing really it was for well, some reason always appealing to me like the, the struggle of people that were in the wrong that like kind of grew up in the wrong place yeah. and like and I'm not that I didn't feel like that was me necessarily but I definitely thought I realized there was way more to life than just my world you know and yeah, like, yeah so music had a so when, so how old were you when, you when that when you made that? When I was listening to like the My Mom's records, um, I was probably seven and eight years old. Okay, and so I'm at, talking about like I would listen to them all the time. Okay, so at seven and eight years old, you're listening to Hang On Sloopy. Yeah. You're you're Sloopy. you're Sloopy. Come on, Sloopy. Hang on. Okay, Hang On Sloppy. Um, <laughs> and and you're and you're able to connect with the with with one the the story of the song, yeah. and then you also connect emotionally on on a level, which probably, I think, and I don't mean to, I'm not trying to say this against most average people, but I think that artists and people who are into art um, are I tend to find are more empathetic and sympathetic to things in the world. Um, yeah, and yeah, a lot sure. more accepting. And maybe they're even even a little bit little more bit. like hurt by things that. Uh, yeah, they get hurt yeah. by even if it's something happening to someone else. Sure. Uh, me and my wife have talked about that. I'm I'm the I'm so. She gives me a hard time because I'm so empathetic that I will put myself in every situation when someone gets hurt because I didn't want that person to get hurt. So I feel like I should feel the pain as well. Yeah. Because there's no reason why if that person has to feel it, I will. I should feel it too. 
you know, because they're a human being and I'm a human being yeah. and I need to understand why they hurt. Because that's the only way, I mean, at least for me, that's the only way I know I'll tell you, as grow. human beings connect and grow. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. That's important. Okay, so, okay, hang on, Snoopy caught you. Yeah, well, you dug into it. Just to zoom forward, you know. Yeah. I got, I was really into music. And then I was passionate about it. And so, like, by the time I got into, like, skateboarding world, and, and I got really into, like, punk because, and not just punk, I mean, I listened to, like, The Doors and yeah, yeah. Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Hendrix, all classic rock. And I listened to, you know, Metallica and, like, all the beginnings of, like, you know, 80... The thrash, or... 80, yeah, 84, 85, like, like metal stuff that we yeah. started getting into. And, like, it just kind of, you know, unfolded into, you know, keeping up with what was coming out at the time. Yeah, yeah. And then it became... We kind of discovered, just because we were locally there, um, the bands like the Bad Brains and GI and, like, all this kind of... Close stuff. They had a record store in Manassas that like sold the first real record that I bought was the um, uh, Flex. Well, I bought the Aggression album from they were they were West Coast like yeah, skateboarding yeah. punk rock band. I bought California, a, yeah. Bro. I bought Aggression. It was on green, clear vinyl. Um, which the first song. Do you still own that Skating album? in a pool. Yeah. Nice. Although that dog that I talked about before yeah. bit, bit a hole in the record. I was, oh. Yeah. Still kept it though. Yeah, nice. still kept it. Um, but it's got a dude skateboarding a pool in the beginning. And yeah, I was yeah. like, man, this is like, yes. I just it's felt like I was on to something that like was totally my thing. You know? Your connection. Yeah, and then and then the next thing I bought, I went back to that record store like a couple days later and I bought the Flex Your Head compilation from DC Hardcore. Yeah, yeah. So it's got, so first thing I was listening to on that was all the first minor threat record, you know, the first minor, or Teen Isles recordings, the first minor threat, the early GI, the early, you know, Iron Cross, and yeah. all those bands. And I had a poster you know in my I room. And Iron Cross, that's one I've never, that's crazy, I've never heard of Iron Cross, yeah. so I'm going to check that out. Well, you know, these guys, there's, there's a lot of, uh, the was it, so these were like, was that, the, where's Iron DC Cross bands. from? All DC yeah, bands. So these were like smaller DC. DC bands that were putting out seven inches. Yeah. Like, and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. Red Sea, um, yeah, all this stuff. They Discord bands. Uh, they were, I don't, you know, they were just that. They were Discord because they were on that compilation. Not everybody, I don't think, stayed a Discord band. Yeah, right. But I know that a lot of them, um, uh, you know, like Minor Threat. Yeah. They they had like one two X U like on there, and um, which was a cover. Of, yeah. Uh, you know, like but but they. You know, that was my introduction to them. I remember hearing that and just hearing Ian's voice and being like, Holy man, shit. That, that grabbed me. You know what I mean? Well, like, he, a they, lot, me too. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you mean. There's something about him. It, it, what it is, you know what I always saw in him and what I, I think, as I've gotten older and the more I've read about Ian McKay and, and seen him in interviews, I he, especially with his political views, he's one of those people who's, I think... The reason why I looked up to look up to him a lot, I think, in a way, is because I never had the ability to intellectually confront somebody with those type of ideologies like he has. Like he's able to. He's not scared. No, he's not scared. One, two, he doesn't get mad. He talks. You know, like me. But but he talks in a mad way. Yeah, yeah. That's why he's effective. But see, there's he's got that kind of deep because there's the intellect is there. That's why because you know you you hear you know that there is uh, there's knowledge there because he grew up in poor DC. Yeah, well, you know, I think he was from an affluent family. Actually, yeah. but but, but know, he put but, himself in that meaning. Yeah, he, he he did. Let's at just say, just like we just said about earlier, he felt the empathy yeah. towards people of 
different that were being areas. stomped on. Yeah, he felt like that wasn't fair, and that's a good thing to see. No matter what your background is, yeah. you can be some rich white person and still turn out okay yes, and not, no, totally. not have not be affected in a negative way. Yeah, it might even affect you in a different way to feel like you need to do more. You know, yeah. you're able to to recognize that you're in a position where you're to able to something. help people that are in a position that they can't help themselves. Yeah, that's a big thing in in life. You know, in yeah. society like to not do that is just to be selfish. Yeah, totally. To, to just gain. I mean. I'm not going to go into this kind of politics, but yeah. it's the difference between, you know, conservatism and liberalism or whatever. You know, it's like, are you helping yourself or are you helping other people? Or aren't we all kind of in a position to help each other a In bit? some way, yeah. We are. and, and we Even if it's just a two-minute conversation and a kind word. Even if you don't have any money, you can still be the guy that yeah. does that for somebody. And exactly. And up their spirits or whatever, yeah. you know? It's a... It's, it's hard for me to, you know, when I when I know that people aren't recognizing this and those people have power. I guess that's what we all have tr- struggle with. Totally. totally. With isn't that why the punk rock scene? Isn't everything? that why the yeah. punk? I mean, that's why, why punk has is still here. Why you're fighting because you you feel like you're fighting for a greater cause than just you. I, think you're, I, I always felt it was the co- the greater cause for me, and not. I mean, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, and I'm sure. I mean, you'll be able to probably. It'd probably be close to hopefully what I say. The, the cause is, I mean, at least for me, in the empathetic and the sympathetic, humanistic way that we keep talking about, is that it, you have, to, it's your job as a human being to make sure you help other human beings because we're, we're not, we're autonomous because we choose to be as human beings and we all die alone. But when you're here, I think you have a responsibility and you should have a contract with other human beings to make life as easy for everybody as possible because the easier it is for everyone, the easier it is for everyone. Right, right. And and, and for future everyone's. Exactly. You know, like, and that's the biggest part because yeah. I really don't give sure. a shit about myself. Wow. It's your, no, in the sense of I'm 44, I know where life is going for me and what what's happening all in the world. I'm more worried about your kids and their kids. I think there's a, you need to, I think it's important to have a balance. So I will say yeah. that you need to have self, a little bit of self preservation. You, know, you got to be like, you got to realize your own personal importance. And the reason why is because whatever you do yeah. is important. Because yeah, yeah. If, you, if you've got a mind that's open to helping people and you're, and you aren't around to use that because you haven't taken care of yourself. Now, I'm not saying yeah, yeah, you yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I not saying you, you don't, mean. but some people, they get they're they're all concerned about the cause. At the same time, they're drinking themselves to be dead. Yeah. They're, yep. They got a drug addiction, and they, they think they're doing. How are you going to help when you're? Yeah, how are you yeah. going to help when you're not even here? No, your voice point. matters, so you got to preserve yourself. And I was I always respected point. that about straight edge. and yeah, yeah. Like That whole thing. You know, it was one of those things like you know when you're messed up on drugs or something, and you're like, for me, it was always like you know when I was in high school and I would try to like smoke weed or something. I was like. All I want to do is be straight. Yeah. Seriously, I would get, I would get, it would. You get high and you'd be like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, I, I I'm not not effective like this. You know what I mean? For some reason, like, well, and being drunk is that, drunk is that way too. Moderately drinking is like fine for me. I can still have a conversation and talk. Uh, When, you know, you introduce a little bit of uh, THC into my system and I become like a moron, you know, I just, you know, it was, it was never good for me from the get go. I would, you know, I was like, 
you, you know. don't have the brain probably for that type of chemical interaction. Like you said, you 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 feel like you get dumbed down. Oh, I get. You know. I get retarded. And yeah, it's yeah. Like, you know, no offense to people that have. It's terrible, okay. I'm a retarded. Terrible word. Um, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I I just I just retarded as in the '70s yeah. version, yeah. not talking yeah. about people who are physically or mentally. Yeah, with a T A W T. Yeah. Retarded. Yeah, retarded. Yeah. That's, yeah, from Massachusetts, like I said. Mad, mad, wicked. wicked retarded. That's right. Um, and I used to have that accent. To, 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 <laughs> side note, I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I moved to New Jersey, dude, I had a serious Massachusetts accent. And those kids were like, you know. Really Where are you West. from? Yeah, they're like, what? I said, yes, sir, all the time. They'd be like, sir, I'm not a sir. Sir, what? yeah. Kid, the older kids would like give me crap and I'd drop stuff like yeah. you know a hot potato I was like man <laughs> somehow I, my dad still has his accent and everyone if I go to Massachusetts it'll start like right. slipping back in it doesn't there, take like, long to get it back for yeah, sure or at least a piece of it but yeah like yeah it's funny how that happens but anyways um so yeah we did uh, we got all in punk rock and everything and then, so after and then, you graduated high school uh, I did I, my parents when I was a senior moved to Florida. Okay. And I said, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay here and finish my senior year out. Oh, wow. So I moved into my into the party house in my neighborhood where we had the house. I didn't play. know that. I didn't have no idea that you stayed. I'd never I heard stayed. that. I was, I was 18. I was, turn, I was about to turn 18. And so my parents were like, all right. I turned 18 before 12th grade, too. Yeah, well, I was... I was You're in that. I, it was in November. I yeah, turned yeah. 18. So my parents had gone, were gone by August. And I went and moved into the, like I said, the house where we were like drinking beer and our Cheerios for breakfast going to high school. You it's know, like it Revenge was, of the Nerds. It was, it was, at least with the nerds, they, <laughs> they knew they were going to move on and, and like create some sort of like computer, something, <laughs> something that helped the world. Yeah, they were going to like get rich. <laughs> we were like going to just like destroy ourselves. And that's all we were doing there. And, and really, here's another thing, you know, I knew it at the time. I was yeah. like, I'm like this. I, I knew it was a bad choice, but I was young and stubborn, and I thought this isn't fair. My parents are leaving. But isn't that it was? Isn't that isn't that the point though of us being 18 and being young is to is to make, make bad those mistakes. bad decisions? Yeah. Well, they really? let me. Hey, my parents let me. I mean, that, that's cool. I mean, yeah. I think it's interesting, and I think the way you you know, I've heard you talk about your, your family, and you know, I know you have you know. You guys get along and you have your relationship. And uh, do you feel that when they when they let you stay and you decided to stay, and they probably knew they probably knew how it was going to turn out. They were parents. Most parents usually know how those situations are going to turn out. Yeah. Right. Do you do you respect them more for letting them, or, or letting do you respect try, them more fail. for letting you actually? get that opportunity to do that to actually learn something yeah. at such a young age well, that's something that's kind of important to learn yeah I, I, I'd say whatever whatever their influence was on me by that time I was already the type of person that was going to try and fail whether you wanted me to or not you right. know what I mean so I had definitely had that instilled in me um, whether they let me stay um, because like they didn't try to make any legal action to make me go yeah yeah but I think they knew that that's the type of person I was, and they let me be that type of person. Um, you know, what I do that with my kids, probably not, because yeah. I see my mistakes. Like I wish, you know, if I could go yeah. back and do it again, I, I, I wish my parents had been like more, more strict. And yeah, yeah. Like, 
you're coming and you're gonna get grades and you're not gonna screw around in school because my GPA in high school at this time was like 1.3 or something. It was Dude. terrible. Oh, like SATs came around? Yeah. And I was like, and everybody's going to the SATs and they're like, hey, you know, what time's your SAT? I'm like, um, no, like, no time. No time. <laughs> I'm not gonna take it. No time 30. They're like, they're like, what do you mean you're not gonna take your SAT? I'm like, what do I need to take it? I don't care. <laughs> and like, but I wanted to go to college. It was so stupid. I, was yeah. like, I thought I was going to go to college without taking the SAT. Because well, I knew you'd go to community college without an SAT. Right, and right, I was right. Like I'm just going to go to community college for two years and then go to a four-year school. And, Transfer. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, why stress myself out? I was all into like finding ways to not get myself stressed out. And if I if I got into a situation where I felt like I was going to be, I would come up with an excuse of why that sucked. You yeah. Know what I mean, and I think a lot of people do that. Um, and I did it when I was younger. Um, be, especially stuff that was forced on you. you know, like yeah, yeah. When you, I love to read, but when I was in, like, even in college, like, you know, they were like really Iliad and the Odyssey, and I did, and I'd sit there and I'd, <laughs> I'd rather out, read Bukowski. Uh, yeah, well, I would, and I probably did. I probably had a Bukowski book yeah. right next to me, and I'd read that for a little while, and then I'd go back and read this. But the thing is, after I graduated <coughs> college, after college, I went back and Excuse read. Me? All those books that I that they was like they were like forcing me to read and, yeah. I, and I loved them because it's I don't know you know I'm uh, anti-authoritarian yeah. and to a point um, you know it's hard for for me to accept me I like to be the boss and I like to be in charge right and you know that's that's what he was telling me last knows. night when we were spooning yeah, yeah it was I said <laughs> I'm the boss said, quiet <laughs> quiet quiet down take it. Put this but, pillow in your mouth and yeah, shut up. Uh, hey, <laughs> you're lucky I had an extra pillow. I am so glad. No, you would have woke the kids up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know. Anyway, so so so, so yeah, so my parents my parents let me be the person yeah. I was and 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 I'm I'm glad for it. I don't have any regrets for what how they parents All right, me so or, I, or what I learned, but yeah, so it took off uh, I, I had to leave there because my guidance counselor in high school in my senior year was like called me into the office for the first time ever and was like, hey, I noticed that you are basically um, not going, really going to not going to graduate. Yeah. I was going to school, but like, you know, I had like, I had like, um, like 18 absences. <laughs> by by <laughs> December, I had like 18 absences All right, Ferris in my Bueller. first period. Okay? Oh, shit. In my like fourth period, I had like six absences. Was that fourth period like before lunch or after lunch? It was like probably right before lunch. Oh, okay. Go meet people. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then by the seventh period or sixth period, whatever we had, I think it was six periods, um, I had another like 18 absences. So, oh, shit. I would, I would not come to school early. I would show up late. Yeah. I would go to whatever class and then we'd like sneak out to the dumpster and smoke cigarettes or something and then like, and then we would leave early and in the back of some, in the trunk of somebody's car, my friend Larry. So you can farmer, hide, and leave yeah, campus. My friend Larry had like a work release thing. That he'd go to work. Yeah, yeah. And and we would all get in the back of his car and cover up with like skate bags and everything, and then we'd leave and go skate. I mean, it was stupid. So my my right. counselor calls me and he's like, "What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? What do you do with your fucking yeah, life?" Yeah, no, he was he was just trying to be. I could he tell was, that he was he cared. empathetic. Yeah, or empathetic. Yeah. He was like, "What are you, what are you trying to do? I mean, are you just gonna fail high school?" And I'm like. Uh, no, I'm going to go to college. He's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, he's like, look at look at this, like, look at these grades and everything. And th- here's the amazing thing: in when in Prince William County in Virginia, um, when you were 18 and you were in high school, when you had an absence, you were a legal adult and you could write your own notes. So all those absences I had were like excuses, absences. Holy on my own shit! I would just write a note. Say, I didn't feel good yesterday, Brian. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Turn into the attendance office. Like, it was ridiculous. It was a license to just... A free for all to screw up, yeah. 
But my guidance counselor was like, look, you have, he's like, you have all these absences. I was like, so? I'm, I'm, I have my grades. I'm going to graduate. I have the classes. And, and he's like, he's like, you're lucky if you pull these grades up. He's like, you need to go move to Florida with your parents. Oh, shit. And I really thought that guy was genuine. And I was like, I kind of called my parents up probably within the next day or two. I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm moving. Like, what did they say fail. when you called them up? My mom's like, okay. I mean, but the, were they like, were they surprised? No, I don't know. She was supportive. She was stoked to have me come down That's there good. and not screw up anymore. She yeah. didn't know I was screwing up. So I came down there and screwed up. So you, so you, so that <laughs> means so you moved to Melbourne in what year? Uh, it was uh, 88. Oh, shit. So December. 88, Florida, mm-hmm. East Coast. Yeah. It was Lots like of good shows height, in Florida. Height of... Nazi skinheads in yeah. Florida. The, bone, the um, bonehead brigades. Yeah. The height of it, man. I came, I was telling you the other day. Yeah. I went to, I was in D.C. at 9.30 Club. I saw Seven Seconds in Circle Jerks. And um, that was like, I don't know, in the fall of 88. Yeah. And, um, and then uh, that tour went around the country or whatever. And by the time I moved down to Florida, the first show I went to down there was at this club called 2225 in Melbourne. It was like the big punk rock club back in the day. And that first show I went to was Circle Jerks in Seven Seconds there. And it was the world. It was, okay, I'm in D.C. in all this like politically correct, if you want to put it that way, sharp skinheads. Um, you've got all the old D.C. punk scene yeah. and everything. That's who populated that area. And then I get down to Florida and the first show I go to is just filled with green bomber jackets and, <laughs> and, and people that have like white power and Sarasota is black bomber jackets yeah, yeah. Oh, and black sorry <laughs> you know they probably were black you know. I actually do have my M1 bomber jacket yeah. on it's way I ordered a yeah. new one they got but, slim fit ones now that aren't all puffy I realized though, nice. I realized the, the biggest dudes in Florida that would have been like the jocks and football that's players that's what they were were skinheads. That's what all the jocks yeah. from the football. Oh my god! They all became like I was five foot nine. Yeah, I was five foot nine, like one hundred and forty-five pounds. And I was, I was, I wasn't scared, but I was smart enough to just stay off to the side. I yeah. definitely wasn't enjoying going to a show as much as I would have or could have when I was younger up in DC. Yeah. I didn't. I was. You weren't going to catch me going out in the middle of the pit and getting clobbered because. There was like, you know, I don't want to name names about these people in Melbourne, but you know, there was there was a certain faction. They know who they are. That would like, there was one guy in particular. Ah, uh, you head, old racist motherfuckers. Yeah, there was like the head of the whole group there. Yeah. And according to rumor, his from name my, was Hat. <laughs> no, no, not him. Not, not Hat. It was a different guy. Yeah, we'll just say his name was. I'm not alive, and my name's Mike. I'm not alive, and I made good decisions. Well, and he's alive now, but I'm just saying. His, <laughs> yeah. Never mind. He'll get. People will get it if they're from Melbourne. Um, anyways, apparently, according to rumor, when I was in high school there, they'd be like, the, the guys that I've met were like, "All right, look, if you go to the show, be careful because this guy puts his girlfriend in the middle of the pit." And if you hit her, bump into her, yep. touch her, he's gonna destroy you. And I'm like, what? that's the oldest. I'm like, I trick. hate that. That sucks, man. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you trying to ruin my night? Like, I don't. So then I had to sit off to the side, and I got, you know, I got more involved in like doing zines and interviews and stuff. Yeah. I didn't really want to participate in the violence, so I thought, you know, I'd rather just hang out and meet the bands that I like. And so I interviewed like Murphy's Law and um, and all. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, I don't know a bunch of bands back then and I started a little zine and I got really into the whole I mean I was always into photography too the whole time so like I got into like shooting pictures of the bands and then interviewing bands so like 
that became my way to You're escape. Safe, right? Well, it became my way to participate without being violent, which was what it was all about at the time. It was all about fighting. So yeah. it was, it was, it was crazy. actually. So, but anyways, yeah, I get there and uh, that's it. It was like that whole crazy skinhead scene going on in Melbourne. And, uh, you know, it turned into, I met my other friends, kind of turned into a skateboarding, straight edge, yeah, yeah. hard New York hardcore type of a deal. We all yeah. got into that whole thing. With slap all the, shot and all those things. Oh, yeah, dudes. everything. Quick Sam, slap shot, and of course Judge and Ethan. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. all those bands we were listening to. And I was listening to them in Virginia, too, a little, but like there it was even more. You know, it was less D.C., more New York uh, yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know? And all the bands out of Miami that came up were all... You know, uh, way into the New York hardcore scene. So yep, yep. It became a lot more straight edge. New I mean, York Miami. I mean, I think Miami was Miami was probably the only place in Florida where there were non-racist skins, mm-hmm. like uh, in, in a large. And I loved it. Mom, in a large number, yeah. because I mean, down there, of course, you have a large uh, Latin, population. Latin, yeah, yeah Latin population. Um, all different. So it's like a very uh, integrated. Yeah, for sure. Skin Those guys scene. weren't taking. It was like a, it was like your traditional '60s. The, the true skin and movement yeah. from the England. It was like, like you wanted 65. nothing. You wanted nothing more than to go to a show in Orlando when all the Miami skinheads showed up. Yeah, you'd like be stoked. Battle the O-Town yeah, yeah. Like, Hell yeah, we got an army now. Yeah, and it really was like that. Like, yeah, for quite a few years. For about five or six years, it yeah. was like that. It kind of started dying off, and that was about the time that I joined the army. You know when that so, when I kind of noticed it died off around the time is when the first Clutch album came out. Because I went and saw Clutch at Janice Landings. Yeah. And there was, where when you would go to a show there, say in 89, there would be 100 skinheads, mm-hmm. probably. You know, Tampa, O-Towns. Tampa Saints, O-Town. Yeah. That Clutch show, there were like three of the older dudes that I'd always seen over the years. They were like old as shit by that yeah. show. You know and how? they were like doing the sick house yeah. stuff and the singer from Clutch was like, dude, that shit's old. Oh yeah. You guys need to Give it up, yeah. you know, like. Oh man, dude, for that time period, like when I was down there in '88, '89, '90, going to like Fugazi shows at like you know in Orlando, like at, at the Beecham Theater, a big Fugazi show, and and all the skinheads were there, and they were like Sea Island, you know, and was like stopping the show and like and like telling them, you know almost almost fighting with these dudes. Yep. There was a big riot there, like at the accused SNFU like show, oh, like it was big like crazy things, man. It was like. It was almost like watching this whole Trump thing going down yeah, in yeah. Chicago. Yeah. That's what like it felt like to be in the punk rock scene yeah. in Florida in the very late '80s. There, it just felt like chaos. Yeah, you know, people like you didn't know when chaos was about to happen at any time. And and dude, while, people would die. People got killed yeah. by those people. Yeah. yeah, like straight up killed. Yeah. Young young punk rock kids, like they're O Town Saints. That, Killed some girl back in the day. Yeah. Then fucking Ta- or O Town, and then the Tampa Saints. They went around and were like yep. stabbing bums in Tampa. Beating up black flag. Beating people. up black flag. Yeah, beating up black flag. flag. Yeah, yeah. I, like so, yeah, man. Florida at the time I moved down there, it was like moving into a war zone of punk rock, and it was it was pretty crazy. And so when I finally, I, I, I went, I went in the army. Kind of to what a, year? In ninety one. Ninety one in the army. Yeah. Why did you? Just out of curiosity, with the punk rock stuff mm-hmm. and listening to all this yeah. stuff that was definitely anti anti establishment in that sense. Right. Not not anti not anti soldier. Yeah. Anti right, right. I'm gonna right. get something straight here, folks. I am not anti soldier. I come from a large military background. I'm a pussy, never signed up. I don't got the guts. But 
I'm not into the military, so the complex can suck my dick. That's my own political thing for us. Here's the thing. I thought I was really smart. And in the way that I I sometimes overthink I'm smart about things, even though I know that I'm I'm no genius, but I think that, like, when it's like street smarts and what's going on in the world, I sometimes think, uh, you know, in some cockiness that I, yeah. I might know a little bit more than the, than guy, the yeah. average guy. You know? <laughs> yeah, and I yeah, look yeah. at things in a broad sense and I go, that's ridiculous. You know, and I, I come to that conclusion a lot. So with the, with the Army, I was like, okay. Um, I looked at it like this. I, I, I thought, look, I, I grew up in a family that we didn't have any money. Yeah. I mean, we weren't poor. We were working class. There was food on the table. Just lower working class. Yeah. But I didn't have any money. My parents weren't spoiling me. Let's see, that's the thing, too. Did you feel poor? I didn't feel poor at all. Okay, see, that's, okay, that's no, another I, thing. I didn't, me, too. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel poor at all. Okay. Um, you know, my parents, by the time I got to Florida, my dad was doing pretty pretty well, but, like, you know, I think they were they were house poor. They bought like big house, had, right. had nice yeah. cars. They were the money was, was taken no, up by yeah, the stuff. It was yeah. not going to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it was nothing. It wasn't like, hey, can I go get a pair of Doc Martens? My parents were like, yeah. It was like I never had any because I knew I could never afford them. You know, so you I, I, I didn't get a new skate deck unless I saved up my money to buy yep. one. Like my parents did not support me in that that kind of. They supported you probably more in the things that would probably enlighten you and educate you. They put hot dogs and spaghetti on the table. Yeah, that's basically what they did. You know, like which was great. They gave me their old car. That was awesome. They probably did more than I thought they did. I'm sure they had to pay for registration and and like everyone would break down. They they helped pay for stuff. So yeah, they helped me out a little here and there. But for the most part, like there was no money for college. So the army was because I had. Tried to go to community college. I was working at 7-Eleven, as my friends from Melbourne would all know. And, Dude, and slurp. Enjoyed you know, that. the juice. I worked a night shift at 7-Eleven. Dude, did you ever get robbed? I got robbed with a shotgun in my face. Are you shitting? Yep. Saw it off or full-on length? Full-on hunting rifle. Had Dude, those things, that, I mean, he right. could have stood like five feet back. It was back on my nose. And I had, I'll never forget it, dude. I'll never forget it. Well, did you turn around and he was there? there was, he just walked There was, was like, a hunting, walk. there was like a deer hunting scene carved into the, the, shotgun. the shotgun. I can see it still. And we're talking, this was, Jesus, how many, this was 1990. So, so 25, 26 years ago. ago. I'll never forget the guy. the guy's face looked like. Um, he had a mask on, but he was a moron. He had, he had taken like a, since you're in Florida <coughs> and you want to, you want to, you want to, mask to rob somebody yeah. you can't just go out to a store in florida and buy like a regular mask that has the eyes cut out like you would if you were like a ski mask ski, yeah, like a ski. if you lived yeah. up north yeah. and so this dude obviously is from florida and he thought i'm gonna cut my own eye holes out well he cut his eye holes out and instead of making them like little almond shaped things he made them like the, he made them like the size of a softball like almost, it was almost like <laughs> so one giant circle dude i could see he had red his hair nose. fair skin blue eyes I could tell he had freckles up by his eyes. I mean, it was a pretty yeah. good description for like a getting robbed by some dude that's a but redhead. Like, your face. like, come on, if you're a redhead, you're gonna want to hide the red hair. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like you guys are rare. Yeah, you're, like you're a white a rare whale. Breed. So, so I don't. So, anyways, he walks here. Here's a funny story. Let me go into the. I'll tell you this yeah, little yeah. story. My my buddies used to hang out at Seven Eleven every night. Um, I worked like I said. I worked the night shift by myself. So that's what ten to seven. That's 11, uh, seven, 11 to 7 at 7-Eleven. That's what I did. So, oh, yeah. Usually I was there until like 8.30 or 9. I, I put in a lot of hours working there. Um, but I thought it was fun. And my buddies would all come after the show. So, like, like, there was this big, famous, like, judge show in Melbourne. Yeah. And um, I, I get there. I watch the couple of the opening bands. And Judge is, like, going on stage. I watch them play, like, two notes. And then I'm like, i got to go to work. Because it, it was, like, 10.56. Oh, that sucks, and I had to like get in my car and haul ass over there so I wasn't late. By the time I got there, here's the funny part. By the time I got there, I walk in 
and the girl that was working at the counter was like, hey, your friends were here. And I said, what are you talking about? She's like, this whole bathroom and the picnic area outside and all the trash cans and phone booths and everything yeah. have all been graffiti. And it was it was the guys from Miami that all came up for the show and yeah. they were big into tagging. Yeah, yeah. They tagged the living shit out of the 7-Eleven I worked at all over the place in the bathroom. You know, Miami, like, yeah. colorblind, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, yeah. And like, And I'm like, Trojan. I'm like, dude, I couldn't I was, I was so stoked yeah like she thought I was, was gonna yeah. feel terrible or something I was like oh man that's crazy and I was like this is so cool cause like the guy the main guy you know Rage yeah, that yeah. was like the big tagger for yeah, me yeah. He, he tagged everything up in this place and I'm like this made my 7-Eleven like so much cooler but anyways so working there all the bands would come after all the shows like, okay Void uh, Judge that night yeah. I hung out like Sammy and and uh, and Purcell and like yeah, these guys yeah. all came in and were like hanging out and I was listening to like our local college radio station WFIT like listening to like punk rock music and they were like dude they're like sitting there listening with me hanging out in 7-Eleven at like 3 o'clock in the morning because they were like buying, you know yeah. they just got done and they're, they're going to stay in a hotel or wherever like, somebody's house or wherever they were doing and like so all these bands just come in like Voivod and like um, uh, Faith No More came in there and like, all, all that stuff and and uh and so they, they you know, non-stop flow of bands uh, would come in, and uh, it was, and, and and then my friends would all come in. So I'd have this whole entire uh, group of late-night friends that were all skaters that hung out until like three o'clock in the morning, and um, they, uh, you know, <laughs> basically. Uh, I don't want to, you know, they, they they got everything in the store for free, for the most part. So, sodas and candy bars and everything they wanted to do all day or all night long. You know, they just hung out and skated out front, and and I was the only one working there. So it was like a total awesome <laughs> skater hangout. So, anyways, um, we did this all the time. So these guys would come. My friends, my skateboarding friends, would come would come in. And hang out every night. And one night they came in with water pistols. And they ran in like they were robbing the place. And I was standing at the counter and they'd come running around the corner, like hiding, and I ran around the corner, run in, and they're like, put up your, you know, give me all your money, motherfucker, you know, and they're like coming after me. And I'm like, ah, you know, they're shooting me with water, and it was funny, you know, whatever. And um, so that happened one night. I swear to God, it's the next fucking night. And I'm standing. I, I was there was like a front counter area and then a back room yeah yeah and before my boss left at like 11 he's like I want you to mop the back back room tonight uh, before the food truck comes which was like on every Thursday or something like the big 18 wheeler would come and bring supplies for right. whatever the week and I, ha- I was in charge of like putting that all Stock. away during the night stocking it all during the night so I, he wanted me to get this back Florida well here's the thing me being the dumbass that I was like I couldn't wear my smock like he'd walk out the door I'd take my smock off i put on my Evil Dead Posse hat we were the, we were the EDP Melbourne EDP represent and I put on my Evil Dead Posse like yeah. hat that I had and um, sounds better than the CWA Posse that I had was it CWA what was that one? Oh, dude you never heard the CWA I'll let you finish your story and I'll tell all right. you that well so all so so I'm standing there like in the back room mopping oh I'm like man I'm a little hungry I'm gonna go out front and get myself a hostess pudding pie <laughs> so I get a pudding pie and a Slurpee or a big gulp probably and I walk back there and I'm eating a pudding pie. I got no smock on and a hat. And like all of a sudden, like the door dings. Ding, ding. 
And like, I'm like, I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. So I'm like, all right, I want to, I wanted to go out. There's two doors to go into this back room. I was like, well, before I go out and see who this customer is, they're probably walking around. Yeah. I'll try to finish my little mopping so I can get out the side door by the bathroom. So yeah. If he goes into 7-Eleven, you know the bathrooms are always usually back in the corner or something. Yep, yep. So like, I, this guy, all of a sudden, banging on the counters. Like, banging on the counter. Hey! Hey! And I'm like, I'm like, oh, man. This is like dick my customer. friends. A dick, oh, yeah. Not even just a dick customer. I thought, this is so dickish that it's, it's one of my friends. Friend. Yeah. Right. This is too dickish for like, real people. Yeah. No, he's, somebody's banging on the counter. And hey. And I'm like, oh, God. And, I, man, you know, I was innocent, dude. I, I just didn't think yeah. at the time what this could be. And I, I come around the corner. Man, if I had known any better, if I just peeked. Just if I was suspicious out. of yeah. like the w- real world at all, I would have looked and seen this dude standing there with a shotgun, and I would have just bo- taken a left and bolted out the back emergency door, yeah. no problem. Jumped the fence. My house, my parents lived like you know down the road. I would have gone home and call like, called the cops, the cops yeah. and been like, "Hey, go into 7-Eleven." Yeah, there's a dude and in there. call your manager. Be like, "You need to go to your store." Yeah, dude. I wouldn't have <laughs> ever come back that night at all. I would have been like, "See, I would have vacated the place. I had no problem." And I knew that was my plan, dude. I was like. I was like, that was yeah. I would just. I thought if I ever get robbed, I'm running out the back door. And I was so close, I should have done it. But, anyways, stupidly, I just kind of blindly like walked around the corner, and, and then he saw me, and he pointed the gunner at me, and he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, dude, you know, he's like, you know what this is? And I'm like walking towards him, and I'm like, I'm like, yep, I got I know, a good I'm idea. Like, I'm like, yes, yes, I know what it is. And he's like. He's like, uh, he's like, you see this? And he's just kind of yelling shit like that. I mean, I don't remember exactly what he said. I know he said, you know what this is. And he, he got right up, stuck it right up into my face. And that's when I saw like the stock of the gun. I saw everything about him, the detail about him. And then I quickly turned. I thought to myself, don't look at this guy. If he thinks he, you've seen too much, yeah, yeah. he's gonna blow you away. And so I'm like, I'm like, I turned around. And he's like, he's like, he said, I turned sideways so I wouldn't look at him. And he's like, give me, give me all, give me all the money. You know what to do. And I'm like, I walk over to the register, and I'm like, and this is the funny part. Like, every time that somebody ever checked out of the place, I ask them if they want a bag. Do you want a bag with that? And I'm serious. I'm like, do you want a bag for your money? Which is so funny, because to me, in my head, that's how fucking ridiculous I am. (laughs) I'm laughing in my head, thinking, oh, I just just asked this dude if he wanted a bag for his money as he's robbing me, that he might kill me in a minute. And he really might have, dude. And I was like... So maybe he would have if you wouldn't offered him that bag. God, yeah, that's true. He's probably like, saved well, my this life. guy kind of cares about my me. politeness has yeah. saved my life on more than one occasion. That was probably one of the big ones. But so uh, for kids, remember, if someone's yeah. got a gun, on you, just yeah. be, be, polite. Polite. be polite. Be polite. Be polite. Yeah, be polite. Don't fight. <laughs> that's, that's my. Yeah. Don't fight. That's it. That's like Woodsy the Owl or something. The more you know. Yeah, the more you know. That's right. GI Joe. Now you know. Um. Uh. Yeah. Uh. So, I. I go over and I give the guy the money and he's like, I want the money out of the safe. And then we had this, if anybody's worked in a place like this, we had a drop safe. We had a drop safe. It was on the floor. And you could only get 20 bucks out every like couple minutes or something. It was like, yeah, I'm like, but the thing was in the register, I hadn't dropped yet. And I had, I had like 50 bucks in the register. We were supposed to keep like more than like 20, right? 20 or 40 bucks. I was over by a little bit, you know, but it was like, I was getting ready to drop, but I had so much crap. The guy's throwing on me at the last minute that I just didn't have everything. And so like, anyways, I, uh, so I give the guy the money out of the register. I'm like, I really can't, I can give you 20 bucks. And I'm like, I can't get anything else out of there for like a few minutes. And he's like, he's like, just give me the, give me whatever the fucking money you can give me. And then he's like, and then turn the fuck around. And I'm like, and oh, I'm like, shit. yeah, so I give him the money, and then he's like, turn around. He's like, now get down on your fucking knees. And I was like, Jesus. And I'm like, 
I'm not thinking that he's going to shoot me in the head, but in the years that I've told this story in the past, and the more you think most people are like, he was going to shoot you right then, and he just didn't. And I, you were that close to, to yeah. death. And I like to think that that's not true, and that like he had no intentions of like, he harming wanted, me. He just was trying he wanted to scare me. He didn't, as far as I know, he never killed anybody. So, yeah, but, it, man, I'll they tell you what. Here's the thing. Well, they did, but here's the thing. Not because of me, though. It was like, I'll tell you. Here's the thing. I got down on the floor, and he left. And I always had this thing in my head where I was like, look, if I ever get robbed, I'm going to, like, take, like, a bunch of money um, out of the drop safe before the cops get there and hide it and then, like, take it. And I thought in my head I would do that. But when that happened, I thought, man, that's such a scumbag thing. I would never do that. And here's the thing. I was shaking like a leaf. I couldn't stop myself from shaking. I bet. The adrenaline. Yeah. And the real, when you think you're like, you might do bad things in life, you know, and then you get put in that situation and your real personality, you're like faced to, to, yeah, you're faced with your own scruples. Like I would have never done that, you know, and it was so silly. I, I learned a big lesson that day about like, about like, um, uh, you know what is important in the world yeah. you know and to me it was like um, being petty about things uh, and not earning your way to get things and like all that kind of stuff I really felt like he, this dude was such a cop out in life that he did that to me yeah. and like shook the shit out of me you know shake whatever shake the shit out of me yeah. scared the shit out of me that, that I like um, I was like man I'm, not, I'm never going to do that to anybody yeah. I really left that whole immature world of maybe like shoplifting yeah, and that yeah. kind of stuff behind I was like dude I don't I don't want to ever like put that on somebody I don't care what part of the world you know society it is I don't I want to feel good about all the yeah. things I've earned in life no totally so that is relative towards me going into the army because anyways this dude left scared the shit out of me cops came whatever they wound up catching the guy like a few a few robberies later okay my description definitely from what I was told helped um but it was a like I said it was a it was quite a it was quite a lesson to learn um but so you go in the army you're yeah. old I was 20 you were 20 when you decided to go yeah. and then <clears throat> I had my 21st birthday in basic training okay um, and nobody was, knew it though. How long was basic training? Like eight, how long? Was eight, it? eight weeks. And what in that eight weeks? Uh... Well, I decided. You know, let me go back. I decided to go in because I was working at Seven Eleven and trying to go to community college, and I just could not even like take school seriously. I worked so much, and I was yeah, and it was cost no so much money to go. Yeah. And I had no. I didn't even know how to get a student loan. I didn't know what I was eligible for. I didn't know Pell, Pell grants. And my family had never gone to college. My sister was going, but my parents had never gone to college. Yeah. I didn't, nobody could, like, guide me or assist me. I had no guidance counselor. I had nobody to, like, help me at the time. I was totally, like, lost in this experience, and I was not doing good in this stupid, like, black and white photography class that I was taking in the lab. And I was like, I'm not taking English and math. And that, I was just still in this, like, kind of immature phase. Yeah. But after that whole, like, incident, 7-Eleven and stuff like that, I, like, I thought, man, I got to take my life way more serious. I got to get out of this town. I got to, and, and I swear to God, it was as right? stupid as, it was as stupid as 2 o'clock in the morning, a commercial for the Army came on about oh, well, the GI Bill. It sounds like the Stripes movie. It was. It was. It was it's a like lot like Stripes. you just got all that done. Like Me and Bill Murray have toast. so much in common. His I'm, pizza got yeah. ran over, and the yeah. dry clean, and yeah. this woman just left, and yeah. then here comes the Army commercial. I like to think that I'm Bill Murray, but I'm probably, <laughs> what's his butt, the other guy that died, what's that other guy? Ramis. Ramis, yeah. I'm probably more like Harold Ramis than a Bill Murray. 
I'm more of a John Candy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shut up, Francis. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Harold Ramis, like, yeah, he's, he was the more, like, uh, you know, hey, dude, don't do this. And then he went along and did it, it anyways. Went in, and then he went yeah. with it. He was the voice of reason, and I always try to be that guy. So I, I don't, like, I don't want to be Harold Ramis, but I definitely probably would. But he went in there, too. So, so you, yeah. go, you go to the military. You yeah, but, but I, yeah I, did it, I did it because I was like, here's the thing. This is why I was, God, I have to go back. I was, thought I was smart. And that's what I said earlier. I thought I was being a smart guy. And I thought, well, look, if I go in the military, I'm going to do one. I'm going to, I'm going to take one to the government. They're going to pay me this GI Bill and go to school. And I'm not going to do anything but get like an, an education. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not, I'm, you know, uh, go to, uh, get, and, I mean, get my, get an education in the army. Yeah. Cause they were going to, let you go to school. They were going to let me go to school. They were trained me to be a diesel mechanic. And I was okay. like, I was like, hell yeah. You know, so I'll go there. I'll get a real So I'll is that what you there. skirt on your ass fab? Yeah. Less well, mechanical nah, Yeah, stuff. they had like five. They had like. What were your, history. what were your things? Do you remember what they were? My, one of mine was a mechanic. That's why yeah. I'm asking. And, um, and then the other, the other three were like peeling potatoes. I didn't have any like <laughs> infantry stuff. They probably were like. Toilet cleaner. Yeah, they're like, dude, you're way too, too uh, you know, I. You're too wordy for us to stick you in the infantry. You're gonna yeah. ask too many you're questions. You're not a mud. You're not a mudder. Yeah, but I, I don't. I didn't score high enough. I don't think to have like a security clearance where they wanted me to go be like some like map reader or like classified guy. Yeah, yeah. I think they were like, look, you're good for. And they, I remember mechanic. It was like heavy wheel diesel mechanic, which is what I chose. Which is bad money. It's awesome. Kind of and then they, it was helicopter, like. It wasn't a helicopter mechanic. It was like some the kind maintenance of, of it, like you some, helicopter maintenance, some shit. Clean it. Yeah, it was all kind of mechanical stuff. Help the mechanics yeah. on it. Yeah. But the thing was, I never in my life before the army had done barely anything on a car. My okay. dad was into cars, but like I never, I think I had changed. I'd done nothing. I think yeah. I, I don't maybe even, changed oil once. I think I changed my my brake calipers out. But okay. I was the type of guy that what I did was I I know I changed my brake calipers. I, I had this car, the brakes were bad. I took the old calipers off. I didn't even know. I'd never even taken a wheel apart. I went to a junkyard. I pulled uh, calipers off of an old, another old Subaru that I mine. <laughs> I put them on, put it back together. I, I got a Chilton manual, learned how to bleed out the brakes, and get and and they worked there great. Was, yeah. So somehow that ASVAB knew that I was mechanically inclined, yeah. even though I wasn't really sure. It's, it's know, weird how they ask, they, they how they get up. that out of when the questions. When I went to school for, for diesel mechanics, dude, I loved it. And it yeah. was like, it was cake. And I, it was, I was a good student and I was like one of the, you know, one of the, I, I did well in the military. Yeah, yeah. You know? And like, and, and here's, the, so I went in there because I was like, look, we don't, we haven't, we go to war like every 10 years. That's yeah, pretty much. Go. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought we just went to Panama. Right before I went out. Yeah, yeah. Right? It was just an invasion of Panama. Oh, that was the Noriega? Right? Yeah, yeah, Noriega. And the 82nd Air War, which I wanted joining, went in They there. ruined that awesome drug trade. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <laughs> but they go, but so, so I thought, all right, we're not going to have, I'm only supposed to be in for four years. I've got a 10-year gap here to go in, have them train me. I, look, I was obsessed with the Army when I was a kid. Like, I yeah, was, yeah. Like, big guns, did all that stuff. My dad was G.I. Joe Kung Fu Grip, I yeah. know. My dad was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. Yeah. He was a badass. I thought, like, all this kind of stuff. And, of course, growing up being, like, you know, we were, like, kind of 
you know, that whole tough guy skinhead thing when we were younger, we were like, you know, American flags on our, on yeah. our bombers and like, you know. I'm you a know, patriot. I'm a patriot. Yeah, exactly. You're proud of, I gotta be proud of something. Yeah, you know, I, I, I want to attach myself yeah, yeah, yeah. to. I'm a exactly. white guy, a white male. I have to find <laughs> In America. Patriot. Yeah, I'm a patriot. Yeah, sure. You're, you're reaching. Odd, odd. Yeah. So, you know, I had that a little bit in me, too, like, to, the curiosity, the the stripes thing, really, like, the, the can I make it through basic Dude, training? Dude, in the, the 80s, they really sold, they made yeah. that stuff sure. look good. Oh, yeah. They oh, yeah. made it look good before it became, like, all that yeah. weird godsmack rock army I wanted thing. to fight a Russian when I was... Dude, right? Dude, now. Wolverines. Yeah. <laughs> Red I'm Dawn, right. man. Right. Red, Red Dawn. Dawn. If that did not make oh, you yeah. want to join the military yeah, and learn man. how to fuck up a Russian, I don't oh, know yeah. what it was. Oh, but I'd hug a Russian now. Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, they fed it to you. Spoon fed it to you. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not gonna. I didn't join because I wanted to go fight any communism or fight a war or anything. No I, As a matter of fact, when I got into basic training, and the, like the third day, we they took us out into the field, and this like m- like major came around, high ranking guy, and he came around and asked us all. We were sitting out in the middle of the night around a fire. He's like, I want you all to tell me why you joined. Oh, this part. And every like these guys. Couple, I was maybe the fourth guy of like 30 people. So I was like, oh God, you know, what am I going to say? I'm not going to, I was too stubborn. I'm like, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell him I joined to get a GI Bill. And I'm gonna, and maybe he'll be mad at me. Yeah. And the first guy's like, I joined, you know, because I, I always wanted to defend my country and blah, blah, blah. Get to me. I'm the first guy to say, um, I joined because I want to get a GI Bill. I didn't have any money to go to school. And I looked at this as an opportunity for me to, you know, advance my life, you know? Right. And he was like, he's like, I thought he was going to destroy me. He's like, great answer. He's like, I love, he's like, you know, that's what I'm talking about. He, wa- he wanted he wanted to know it, that you had a plan. Yeah, he was just like, that's that's what, you know, he he applauded my answer. Yeah. And moved on to the next guy kind of quickly. But I swear, like, ten people after me felt like they said the same thing. And they probably felt open to do it because I kind of broke the ice a little yeah. bit, you know. Because I couldn't help myself. Pretty much, most people that went into the military at that time were in there for oh my college. Gosh. Oh my they gosh. were there. So, they were there to get that. Bill. I was in there with deadheads and yeah. like, a lot of they like deadheads. They wanted that college because they can't afford it on the outside. Yeah, people were people went in there, and, they, and man, we hadn't been to a real war war since Vietnam, really. You know, and like yeah, yeah. I think nobody really thought it's, like it's something like Iraq or Afghanistan would ever come up or 9/11 like or any call, of that stuff. The first Gulf War. Well, the first for, for, okay. I guess I kind of skipped that. I said Panama, but the truth of the matter is the Gulf War was going on even when I joined. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, I'm a Gulf War veteran. I have yeah, a yeah. ribbon for it because when I joined up, um, we were still occupying the area. And I thought to myself, and I think it was probably like, you know, that, that war lasted like a day. Illegally. That, that war lasted like a day or whatever. Yeah. And I thought, well, they're not sending anybody over there anymore. That's, you know, that's really what it based on. It wasn't Panama. It was, it was the Gulf yeah, War. Yeah. I thought, I, th- I think I'm good for 10 years. And I, that's that's so stupid because really what the world turned into after that who would have ever known and being a naive kid like, yeah. you would never have guessed like any of the future you know the next yeah, yeah. what would happen a decade later or whatever happened so but anyways so I got in there to do that I thought I'm going to get in I'm going to get my GI Bill I'm going to get out well when I got in there I'll tell you what I never regret it camaraderie the young guys that were kind of like trying to figure their lives out and, and everything and then the guidance that the, the, that I got from it was the discipline, and that's such a silly word because I know that everybody, oh, you went in military discipline, blah, blah. It's true. You learn how to straighten your life out. You learn how to prioritize things. Right. You learn, like, you know, you're going to bust your ass 
um, because somebody asked you to. And if you don't, there are consequences that are out of your control, and you don't run the world anymore when you right. put your hand, your life into somebody else's hands. Yeah. And and there's some there's there's a part of everybody that really needs to actually experience that at some point in order to um, uh, appreciate their world more. You know what it is? When I got out of there, I appreciated the world a lot more. Plus, yeah. I got in a really bad car wreck and broke my neck and was paralyzed. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that helped we me too. We don't have to get into that because I think most people that probably listen to us know us, know yeah. you, and they know the full story. Well, I have, just, that happened when I was in there. So, can you, you give it just a quick, just give a quick little yeah, I from was, I, film to walk yeah. again and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, I was, you know, in, uh, yeah, I was, I was growing up being, hanging out with, being on the straight edge, uh, responsible scene and all that kind of stuff. I get there and of course all these kids are, you know, well, I was 21 and a lot of kids were like 19 and there's a world of difference between 21 and 19 and I felt like I was kind of being the responsible one a lot of times so this one night all, like a group of them like eight of them were all just hanging out in the barracks drunk on like a Saturday night Yeah. and they're like or a Friday night and they're like yeah we're gonna go out to this other town like 50 miles away and we're gonna drink there's like this club there and uh, and I'm like okay and I'm like have fun they're like you wanna come I'm like no I'm going to bed dude it's like 9.30 or 8.30 or what 9 o'clock I'm like I've been working you know I've been working all day it was a Friday and I'm like I'm going to bed so I look around and I realize I'm like, well, who, how are you guys getting there? Oh, Sergeant Blankety Blank is driving his, his truck. I'm like, I'm like, really? I'm like, and he's there. He is in the end of the hallway, like drinking a beer. Well, who else is? Yeah, who else is going? This guy, he's got beer. They've all got beers. Man, being 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 in the straight edge scene and hating like that for yeah, like, that and kind of stuff. Yeah, worrying about people. Yeah, worrying about yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're hearing all the stories and worrying yeah. about it and maybe being taken it very personally. I was like, look. I'll go if you guys let me drive, and I, but that's it. Um, and so I did. I drove them, and um, you know, I was a designated driver. Drove them around all night. They they drug me around the countryside of North Carolina yeah. until five o'clock in the morning. And uh, you know, on the way back, I had uh, uh, it was a long story, but I wound up losing control of the uh, truck that uh, I was in. Is it Toyota Four Runners? A Toyota pickup truck. Toyota pickup like truck. six guys sitting in the back and another guy up in the front. And, um, you know, I was the only one seatbelted in. Yeah, open back. Yeah. I was the only one seatbelted in. I was the only one sober. Everybody else was just drunk off their ass and asleep. And it was, you know, uh, anyways, I wound up uh, going, losing control of this truck and flipped it five times. Wow. Ejected everybody 55 miles per hour. Um, on this country road on Fort, on Fort Bragg and uh, I broke my neck and they helicoptered me out of the wreck scene and um, I was paralyzed and they yeah. told me I never walk again and I had broken a high up C6, C7 in my vertebrae and was completely paralyzed from the chest down um, and it was rough. It was rough. So that's how I basically got shipped out of the army from Fort Bragg down to Florida, and moved into a VA hospital to do uh, rehab, and was was there for for five months. 
Yeah. Um, like August, September, October. But from what? Yeah, five months. Yeah, but from what everyone sees, you beat it. They told you you'd never walk again. You worked hard. Walk, you busted work, it. Yeah, you busted, made it happen. Busted ass. I, uh, you know, I learned how to walk on a walker. At first, I learned how to just flex my my quad muscle, uh, just a pair. Yeah. Just make it a tick. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's really all. To I can see, do. was that to see the electric? To see what you could feel as the electrical connections in your body to yeah, see what was They were really shocking hot. my muscles with like these electrical, uh, with this uh, TENS unit, and yeah, they yeah. shock my muscles and tell me to imagine flexing them at the same time. Uh, okay. And they did this therapy with me for a while, and months. And kind of months. like a, a, a muscle memory kind of thing, tried to build. Yeah, they're yeah, they trying to make a connection. Basically, if you sever okay. your spinal cord like I did, you, and, it's, and it's still attached because I'm incomplete. Yeah. You can kind of jump around the edge of your like your your you find new pathways. Nerves nerves will yeah, fix themselves yeah. and around well, the fix themselves is necessarily I think the the neurons that get sent out are able to like, kind of maybe move around jump yeah, a little yeah. and stuff. As it is as, electricity. As far as yeah, as far as I can have been told, I'm yeah. no physiologist or whatever. But like, um, so so uh, I was able to get back enough stuff to function really the way I am within a year. I was on, a, I went from a walker to crutches and a wheelchair and I've been crutches and since. wheelchair ever since. You okay, know, like, so when you got out, you were in Melbourne? Did you move back to Melbourne? Yeah, I went happened? back to Melbourne after the hospital. And then after Melbourne, how long were you in Melbourne before you moved to Gainesville? Melbourne, they were like, hey, uh, I was living in Melbourne for the next, up until 95, so like 93 to 95, so like two years. And, and the VA was like, hey, you need to go to college. And they're like, so I started the community college in, in Melbourne. In Melbourne. BCC. What, BCC? Yeah, for like. BCC, shout ooh, out. Yeah, I went, well, there, I went there for like the summer semesters or something. And uh, and the VA was like, look, we're going to put you in college. Oh, we're shit. Gonna, we're going to pay for your college. Yeah. But you're going to have to keep a, a 3.0 average. Now, like I said earlier, I had like a 1.6 GPA in, in high school. <laughs> right. I'd never like kept it at 3.0 average since I was like in second grade or something. No shit. Yeah, and I I'm got like, you there. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, sure, whatever you say. Yeah. And I thought I'm gonna fail so bad. But next thing you know, like two semesters in, I'd had straight A's. And then the first two years I went to, to college, I had a I had a 4.0. So I was like, oh my god. I always said, look, I'm street smart, but I'm book stupid. Yeah. Before that. And I'd kind of been convinced that that was true. It was just a lack of effort when I was in high school. The guys really, are kind of over It's really loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let's, uh, let's screw this whole thing up. Let's, let's be part yeah, of it. We're bored of Brian's stupid story. Anyways, they, um, so, yeah, I uh, basically, um, uh, they, they, they were like, we're going to, we want you to go to UF, yeah. and we want you to get a bachelor's degree, okay. and then we want you to get a master's degree in sociology. I mean, in, in a, a master's degree in, um, uh, uh, what am I thinking, what's the word I'm thinking of? Psychology? No. Um, the people Philosophy? that work in the community. Um, social, uh, uh, social, social worker. worker. Yeah, master, master's degree in social work. What I wanted work. to do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you know what, I don't think I want to do that, but I will try to go get a degree and go get a PhD in psychology, so that's really what I, I thought, if they're going to pay for me to get a yeah. master's degree in psych, I'll try to figure out a way to pay for the rest of it in student loans okay. to get a PhD. So, so you moved to Gainesville, yeah. go to college. Yeah. Did you knock it out in the four years? I knocked it out in four years, yeah. Okay, and and, were you, and what was your GPA the whole time? Above a 3.0? If I hadn't failed 
that black and white photography class in community college back in 1990. You would have had a 4.0 problem? I couldn't drop that class. I oh, really? Had, yeah. So that sounds like it would have been like one of those stupid classes, like you picked bowling or something, you know, like an extracurricular? Like yeah, well, it was on my record because so I hadn't appealed it or something was in, it in the AP? right amount of time. Was it an AP? Like no. a, a big, because like AP, like, like if you take like AP art in high school, yeah. Right. Those credits transfer into college. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like those will follow you. This followed me. Okay. I took my Jeep, even though I had a four the whole time when I was going to college, when I, when I really tried. So you had a three seven five. Yeah, I think that those two zeros pulled me down the whole time. Yes. And when I graduated from UF, I had a three point four nine. Okay. Three point four seven or something. I was like a couple hundredths away from. Graduating with honors. That's awesome. I mean, but see, you gotta yes, know it was school. awesome, and then it sucked. I, I there, there you go. Me thinking, I'm always it. thinking I'm smart, and then like you I shoot myself in the foot. For, like, yeah, in the past. It's part of growing up and everything, and you, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh well, who cares if I had gotten this or didn't get this? Yeah. But at the same time, you grow up and you learn to regret things that you did when you were younger, right? A little bit, um, and you're like, Damn it, why didn't I just do that? You yeah. know, you're like, no regrets. Yeah, yeah. I had you fun. Have to. You I had have a lot of fun. No regrets. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you only it's yellow. Yeah. You know, and I hate to always use that term, but it's no, it so funny to me because I do use it a lot, and I tell people that when they, like, complain about, you know, like, when they give you that first world problem bullshit, you know, when people complain, oh, yeah. I had to wait an extra five minutes at the, in the grocery line, and, like, they yeah. complain about that all yeah. night long. Like, dude, I know people that have been paralyzed, learned how to walk, didn't do well in school, ended up almost getting a 4.0, could have graduated with ours if they didn't make a little mistake. You know, it's like, yeah, you gotta make, you make mistakes along the way. Yeah, that's and you where don't, you fucking learn. You learn. You don't complain about it. I try to teach that to my kids, you know, like, I'm just like, uh, that's what I'm always trying to instill in them is that, It's okay you know, that you have that feeling yeah. and, and, that, and, that, and that, like, you have an issue with it. Yeah. Like, the, the idea of the grip, but you don't have to hold on to it. You don't you have can't. to carry it. You gotta it. let it yeah. go. You gotta learn and you gotta, you gotta be you gotta remind yourself that um, you're, you gotta instill a confidence in yourself. You yeah. Know? And, and that, that does take some reminding. You yeah. Know? And I think people have trouble with that. So when did you, so when did you start playing music in Gainesville? Like what was that? When did you decide to pick up a guitar and well, start yeah. getting into the Yeah, you know, like I said, I always like, was into music and listening and I played guitar a little bit and I had a little band in, in Virginia before I moved down. What were they the, called? The Deplicted. What's Deplicted? I don't know. We thought it was, sounded cool. Deplicted. That sounds... I mean, it's We had a song cool. called Bring Back the Guillotine, and everybody <laughs> in my high school that went to our parties could sing along with it. It was like our famous song, yeah. The guillotine was really keen. Bring it back, we'll make a scene. Um, yeah. Sharpen like a razor, blood still running down. Shrieks and screams of terror. I love to hear that sound. Gather around my children, and you will come to see. The guillotine is a wonderful toy made for you and me. Now, Napoleon, it's your turn. Here come. It was come Napoleon is really cool, but they yeah. they treated him like a fool. With one word, he chop your head. His ideas live on, but now he's dead. I don't know. I can remember that whole. I had a feeling Napoleon uh, was going to be yeah. in there. I totally, and it wasn't even Napoleon that was yeah, cutting yeah. people's heads off. It was. It's just one funny of the to say. Louis the Fourteenth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we had it all. Wrong. We had, and we had a word that was, we thought we were smart. We were we were smart, but like, yeah, we had all these stupid songs. So we were really into like the Angry Samoans, yeah, yeah. and like dumb bands like that, you know. And like, so you're in Gainesville. Yeah, you did that stuff. Up yeah, there. done that stuff, and I had really, and I played in a band in Melbourne before I moved up there, um, pretty seriously, like with James Ross. Yeah. And, um, Hi, James Ross. Yeah. yeah. James Ross, my buddy Eric Anderson, who uh, played drums, and my buddy Brett Havery. 
uh, that sang for us, and we were we put out we had another band, uh, uh, Metastasis, that put out a seven inch, and we played, and we thought we were like onto something new. We were definitely like a I don't know, you know, inspired by like Neurosis and Rorschach and like all the Born Against, like all those type of bands at the yeah. time. You know, we were like Rorschach. Mm, yeah, we were really into like that type of stuff. We were moving beyond hardcore and into something more heavy and 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 melodic and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that kind of, we all thought we were going to move to Gainesville. Yeah. And so James moved to Gainesville, and I'm like, I'm coming because I'm going to go to school. And then Brett and Eric were supposed to come, and Brett. Came after um, with your wife, uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, Eric never came, and so we it never really worked out in the beginning. I got really tied up into school, and then I had a wife, and I got married, and I had a kid, yeah, yeah, and things kind of got a little tied up. So I really never got serious about. I, I jam with people here and there. Yeah. Grab that door. Right there. Yeah. I can do. They close pretty quick. Doors quicker than me. <laughs> Thank you. You betcha. But uh, yeah, so it took me. You know, I would jam with those guys. I would jam. I jammed with like Drew DeMaio. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Jammed with like the guys that were across the street Just. sometimes. Yeah, I jammed with like. Um, you know, I play but it was never anything that got to, came together finally I kind of got sick of that whole thing which leads me back to meeting you yeah. and saying you know what I really want to do something I don't want to have to write songs because right. I can't find people to write with I can't find people I mesh with yeah. so I'm going to be in charge of this little stupid thing and then you know what I'm going to do I'm going to at first I was like I'm going to do a Guns N' Roses tribute band and I'm going to get Kevin Scott to sing and be um, Axel Rose and and uh, or or Jack yeah yeah Bailey Jack Bailey to be <clears throat> Axel Rose because both those guys were gingers and they could both sing like Axel Rose yeah you got that high yeah so we th I thought about that at first but then it was coming up on Halloween and I was like wouldn't it be better to leave? I loved Black Sabbath I'd always yeah. been a big Black Sabbath fan I was like wouldn't it be better to like be like, to do Black Sabbath on Halloween like and I was As like Black Sabbath yeah so I taught I got James into the idea. And I got Drew into the idea of being Ozzy. Yeah. And Drew's like, hey, I got this friend. He plays drums in 12-hour turn, Matt Oliver. Very good drummer. Amazing. He's like, he's kicked so much ass, and he's going to come and play. And he showed up, he looked like a 12-year-old kid. Yeah, he's too, yeah he, compared oh to the rest of you guys, oh he, he looked like he was not... He was a child. He did not, yeah, he was definitely... He, he, was, he looked like a That child. was like watching Danny Welsh play drums with, oh like, like Henri Hodge. Yeah, he was, like, was when like they started, four. he was such a kid. Yeah, he like, was like a baby. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 uh, <coughs> and so... Yeah, we start. We put that. I put that together out of just like I, I didn't. I was lazy. I yeah. wanted like the the you know. And the to, band was called Volume Four, as a matter of fact. The Volume fact. Four, yeah. yeah. The Volume and Four. You were the first person to buy a T-shirt. Yes, I was. You you bought. A t we had T-shirts at the second show we played at, which was the um, old, the original Common Grounds, like tenth anniversary or fifth anniversary yeah, yeah, or yeah. some show, something. The like little that. coffee shop. Yeah, the coffee shop, and we played their little. Their little show, and that was our second time we played out. We played at that house, which was epic. And everybody yeah. lived in Gainesville in '99, had a good time, and um, uh, it was. Everybody has a story from that crazy night, and we have it on film. There's a YouTube video of it uh, of that night, um, yeah. and it's called "Where's Ozzy," 
Search for Where's Ozzy on That's YouTube. That's the one off of Depot, that, sh that show? No, this is the one with the house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I'm right, saying right, that right. we met at. Oh, that's right, in the, the Halloween Where you met Chris. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that night. That's on YouTube. Um, interviews on there. It's ridiculous, yeah, yeah. stupid. It's cut together terrible. But it's so much fun. Shane Haven, like, going nuts on, yeah. while we break into Black, the song Black Sabbath. Yeah. Like, that, that night was so much fun, and it made me go, like, Oh my God, I want to keep doing this. It's so stupid, but I at least want to do this whenever I can. can so yeah. we wound up doing it. We took a break in like 2002 or something, but we wound up doing it like every year up until 2005 when we like kind of officially retired yeah. the idea because we all moved. And I moved out of Gainesville in 2006. And Drew was up and in New York. Drew moved, and, and uh, you know Matt, drummer, he Matt never busy. lived there really. Yeah, Matt lived in Jacksonville, yeah. and now he lives. He plays drums in Denava and lives out west in yeah. Oregon, and like he's a rock star, and he looks like he belongs in Black Sabbath. He's got this amazing. Long hair, hair now. And this big like, fat is he tatted mustache. up? No, I don't. I doubt he never it. got tatted up. Yeah, I mean, he's still like a little boy. If you took off the, he's gonna be, <laughs> don't be mad at me, Matt, but it's true. If you took off this big fat mustache and his hair, hair. you'd be like, oh, it's just that little kid that just played drums for twelve hour for twelve hour turn. Really, yeah. he's always put on these costumes, you know, like. But he, but he's a awesome dude. I what, like that, what? When you were living in Gainesville, what? What was? Um, what was? something about Gainesville that you enjoyed so much about the scene was it the you know like what the, the ease to be to speak your mind and know that your um, friends uh, wouldn't have conflicting views with you like you didn't have to worry about like you knew that it's kind of like you, you no, had, yeah nobody was going to go to church on Sunday yeah we knew um, that yeah nobody was going to um, throw around like racist things you weren't going to like meet people that were like going to contradict yeah exactly you can free to speak your mind and to really talk shit about like the other side yeah. and to know that you had like a group that were like you were preaching to the, the congregation choir, yeah. or the choir or whatever you, people were listening and they were on your side and they wanted to be there for that type of thing and it felt good to have that with you um, for a change because for a long time where I grew up and in the 80s you, you didn't think that way no there was so much contradiction even in the punk rock scene it was like yes. one faction versus another we're racist we're not we're straight edge some were home, straight edge kids hated non-straight edge kids yep. vegan this and that yeah, everything. Yeah, it was yeah. so much and when I moved to Gainesville there was a little bit of that but that faded out they, they, and it became a, it's like everybody, a friendship it's like they, they took the idea of punk rock and decided okay I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna dice they, they dissected it to such an nth degree to where they stretched the punk scene out into all these different factions. Yeah. When they were actually just one faction. Right. And but see the thing is when you're young and a lot of these guys were young and and I'm talking about like there was the in Gainesville at first man, you know, there was the there were skinheads. There was the like utility house type of uh, scene or whatever. Yeah. Then you had the Palatka like Vegan crew, crew, you know, and then you had like culture, the straight Miami edge, straight edge, in, yeah, yeah, some of those yeah, kids. that whole thing. And man, people hated each other, and it was so funny because I was definitely on the outside of all that, being that I was going to school and married and stuff. And uh, pause. Wanna... Hold on one second, folks. Jay's got to pee. I got it on hold. There you go. It's not holding. It's not holding. It won't hold. We're still recording. All right. 
I'll just keep talking. I'll be right back. Okay, Chase King, I'm going to tell them. Tell them a story. About you. Do it. Tell them whatever you want. Yeah. All right. So, right, Jay's in the bathroom. Um, we're in a coffee house. There's like some old weird man standing next to me. I'm just going to pretend that he can't hear me talking about him. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, let's see. Um, what can I tell you about Jay? I think of a Jay story that he wouldn't want anybody to really know. Um, <clears throat> God, it's hard to... I should talk about his wife. Oh, yeah, I talk about my wife. Hi, Beth. Beth, why not? Love you. I had to say that. I was supposed to say that every 15 minutes or so. Getting your name tattooed on me. Um, yeah, I could tell... Let's see. John, it's hard to talk about Jay because... Um, all right. Without having awesome stories, um, because he has ape arms and he can throw a bowling ball at like 28 miles per hour. <laughs> Shut up. And uh, and uh, and everything I think that I want to say is a funny thing. It's really like um, Jay balancing out how, what a nut job his wife is. So I oh, can, no. my, my stories are only about his wife, and then Jay <laughs> Jay making her. She'd probably think just the opposite. I'm trying to tame Jay, and yeah. then I think he tames her. So that's that's the truth. But anyways, yeah. Kind of true. All right, Jay's back. Thank you. Um, Sorry, guys. <laughs> I didn't really tell anything. I just kind of. That's okay. I couldn't think of anything bad to say about you. That's all right. That's all right. That's a good thing. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> I mean, because I'll say it about myself. Don't worry. No. Um, okay, so Gainesville, you did Gainesville. You did the music thing. I also know. For a while there, you uh, definitely, I mean, not for a while, but definitely a photography. You, you, I know you like photography. You, I've seen some of your pictures. Yeah. Got that picture at your house of, like, uh, right after 9-11. You said your brother was living up in New York. You got yeah. that cool picture down the road. Yeah. You also did stuff. You did, took lots of pictures for bands. Yeah, I was a big skate and the skate photography. And the skate photography I thought, I thought that be, you did. I thought with, I'd work for Thrasher one day or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I could never afford equipment. It was a money issue again. I was struggling yeah. with money all the time. I was like, I wanted a big Marshall amp at one point, $1,000. I wanted like a new Nikon camera, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's $1,000. Yeah. I want Everything I wanted was $1,000. A Gibson, you know, Les yeah. Paul, $1,000. It was like I had all these $1,000 things, and I'm like, how do I ever get $1,000 now? So it was like, you know, really it had a lot, it was always a money struggle. Yeah. And I probably would have done more earlier if I had had more money at my at my disposal but I had to I just worked my way around it and basically instead of like I can't really say like I, I'm not I wasn't like a Terry Richardson where I took like some cheap disposable camera and turned myself into like a mod yeah. becoming a photographer in New York working for like like Cosmo. they did back in the days well no these days like he oh, does wow. that nowadays oh he, he does it with the older cameras he turned he? he does more professional stuff now but yeah, yeah. he kind of started off I think off. I saw him yeah he's or something. yeah he's a big place guy yeah yeah he kind of made a, a mockery of the professional photography scene because I think his dad was a photographer and he was always one, but he decided I'm going to do this stuff and he made a statement, I'm going to do it with like these cheap, crappy cameras and show you that it doesn't, you know, it's more important like what you're taking a picture of and how you're... Um, and what you're capturing. Yeah, like and how you're, but even, but with people, how you, what, how you're, um, uh, What's my, relating to them yes. while you're you want, taking the you picture. You want to get that relation yeah. in the shot. Anybody can just pose somebody and make the lighting blue great. Steel but yeah, but you're yeah, yeah, blue steel. <laughs> but you're you, but but to look at somebody and and look at the picture of them in a magazine and to get an emotion from that. Yeah. That's different. And when yeah. you can do that with a little tiny shitty disposable camera. That's a big statement. So it's talent. So it is talent, and it's something that I didn't. I guess I didn't really think I could go that way. I thought I gotta have better equipment, and I'd always have some. I just wouldn't start because I didn't. And the thing was, I want to buy in uh, um, Canon Elf, did a disposable camera like 2000. Yeah. And I started shooting like some hot water music shows and stuff with it. And I could see, 
I, I didn't have the money to develop film before that and everything. It was so, so, photography was like so expensive with film that when digital came out, I grabbed onto it and I'm like, I'm like, Holy I'm shit. like, I can do this. A, way to, like, a yeah. little cheaper way to yeah. do what you want. I've got the imagination to compose pictures. I know how to, I know what I want to see. Yeah. I, I have the drive to, and now I finally have the ability to do it and learn through looking at the back of the camera and see my mistakes and like fixing things. I, I could finally do it without having to blow a bunch of money that I didn't have right. to do it. So it became more affordable. And uh, what I wound up doing is quickly saving up for uh, what Nikon came out with a D100. It was their first like consumer digital uh, camera. Right? Yeah, it was like a $2,200 $2, digital um, uh, 35 millimeter camera. And I bought it and saved up, um, uh, bought that camera, and I was like, now I'm going to get serious. And seriously, with, um, and serious, how many times can I say that? And, and within, within a year, I went from just starting to take pictures again to being out on tour with bands and shooting bands yeah. seriously all the time. Like, it just blossomed from there. Next thing you know, um, I was shooting against me. I shot their record cover. I did their stuff for the Eternal Cowboy record. Like, seriously, with like within two years of me buying this camera, I had gone from just fiddling around with it, trying to figure it out, yes. to doing what I wanted to do. I was like, you know, get bands were inviting me to take their pictures and going out on little tours with them around Florida. I shot a few bands around Florida, and then, like, eventually, like, against me, it was like, hey, we want you to... I'd, sh I'd shot pictures for their artwork, and they're like, they thought, oh, you're older than us. You're, like, ten years older than us. Can, can you... Can you um, work with can us? Can you be our tour manager? Can be responsible? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got to be responsible because you're older. Yeah. And I was like, uh, yeah. So photography yeah. pretty much led you into being a tour manager for yeah. Against Me. And then tour managing led me into being a photographer for all these other fat bands. that I, Fat I, Records? Yeah, I met Fat Mike and Fat okay. Records, and they were like, hey, shoot this band. And this chick, Vanessa, that, that did all their work with for Fat, she was like, she was hooking me up with all these bands. I was like, cool. you know, like... You know, flying me out to Colorado to shoot Bill Stevens. I mean, yeah, I remember when you started doing that stuff. Yeah. I was like so jello, dude. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was like, this is great. But the thing was, I was very tied up in being a tour manager for Against Me, so it kind of, it, there was a, it limited me, it limited how far I could go. A little. Yeah. Plus, I had my son back in Florida that right, was living with right, his mom. Right. We were divorced at the time, and he was growing up with her, and I was like touring and like. I was so torn between like living to, that life and living ha that having life, a connection with your child, trying to be connected with my kid, yeah. and trying to do my own thing and be a photographer. Like, I which isn't that, fucking easy. Yeah, trying to do that. Hey, that's shit. life. That's yeah. life. That's what it's all about. So, um, but I I had an amazing time doing all that stuff and working for those guys, and I met a bunch of outstanding people, and I. I like kind of lived up that little dream that every musician has to be yeah. a touring person. Even though I, you know, at one point I went, you know what, this isn't my dream. Being a tour manager was like, it wasn't, it wasn't my dream. You know, right. my dream was to be on the stage playing the guitar. The, the guitar, and I, you know, every you wanted a yeah. tour manager. Yeah, I wanted a tour manager. <laughs> I wanted man. You know, Tom would throw me the uh, the guitar. Uh, during um, like Baby I'm an Anarchist or oh, something. Oh really? Yeah, and I would get on stage every. You know, maybe it happened like once every few shows. Yeah. The encore would happen, and he'd throw the guitar all the way across the stage. I'd catch it, throw it on, and then I I knew how to play GCD uh, that yeah, end of that so song. Easy, yeah. I mean, I knew how to play all that stuff anyway, and that's why I was like, man, I can play all this. 
Yeah, I was like their, I was like their guitar tech and everything yeah. for a while. So I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, Tom. Hey, Tom's a great no, no, guitar. No, 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 no. Right, Laura, I'm sorry. Uh, at the time, it was Tom Sola. That's why I'm going that way. I hate to. I don't want to be unpolitically yeah, correct. Yeah. By the time period, it was. It was before. Uh, you know, this change. Life changes. So, yes. So Laura, um, gonna play amazing. Uh, chords, not yeah. Like you play an E chord. Yeah. She's playing an E chord further Plus. up the neck with some weird fingering and it to sounds grab better. the other. Yeah, kind of like melod, melod, like yeah. a, like a more of a melodic. Yeah, feel there's of some the stupid guitar. musical term for that, but yeah. uh, and I'm not thinking of it right now. But like, yeah, when you when you uh, you know you can play an A chord low in the neck, you can yeah. play higher up, you can play at different positions. Yeah, yeah. And it all, uh, you know, so like. She just knows how to choose the right one. Right. To me, I'm like, oh, open E. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's simple. Or, yeah. hey, I'm well, see, that's here. what I'm saying. It's sim when you can. That was my my kind of my point with like a lot of bands, even like because most people don't realize that if you really, if you sit down and you even like take apart some of your favorite bands, you're gonna realize the chords they're playing are some of the easiest chords. Yeah. They're just putting their own them on on those chords and yeah. making it their music yeah when i took it some english class in college you know that i remember a professor saying you know the difference between a uh, uh like a writer and and a uh, or a poet even yeah and, and, and somebody else is that they know how to say the thing that you want to say with the right words because there's hundreds of words that can say express the thing that you're thinking of, yeah but they know the right one yeah and that that's the difference, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, that's a great. That's songwriter. where the talent comes from. A great songwriter knows the right chords, they know right, the right chord progression, they know the right music, they know the right words to put there. They know. Yeah. How to, it just comes to them in a, in a more natural, natural way. Yeah. Not that they're not working at it, but man, they they got some gift. There's a fluidity to it. Yeah. And and that that was for me, but against me, that was um, there was a lot of that. Fluidity. Yeah. I was like, man, I, I was. Touched by uh, you know that music, and then I um, touched by an angel. I was well, I was happy to be a part of it because yeah. it really was a great family, and it was a great time period to be part of. And and shout out to Against Me from a Powell Pops. Sure. Definitely, yeah. you guys keep doing what you're doing. Guys and gals. Guys and gals, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, the, and and plus the. Uh, I know that Laura's got this whole new thing going on, which I missed because I was out of town. But um, it's like the Laura Jane Grayson Mothers of Invention. That's not yeah. what it's called, but that's what I want to. That's what I was going <laughs> to tell her. That's <laughs> the, funny. The, the, yeah, I can't remember what it's called now. But anyways, they uh, yeah. This dude she, that just walked in the door looks like Chris Waller. Oh yeah. Swear oh, to God, wears the hat the same way, glasses. Go, go totally be, looks like Waller. Like Wallard. Uh, Old Waller before the great. The bearded, the bearded weirdos. <laughs> I'll never, yeah. I'll never forget reading the Flipside article that they were yeah, on yeah. the front cover of Flipside. Yeah, Chuck, I remember that. Chuck yeah. And they were like the bearded weirdos. And well, I was seeing like, the games Florida's were... bearded weirdos. Yeah. I was like, I love that. So funny. Well, see, that's the that, that I remember talking about bearded weirdos. I mean, like if you go to Gainesville now, every motherfucker has a beard, right? Sure. When we when we when when those um, guys beards first... are nothing new, folks. No. I, I had a massive beard in nineteen <laughs> freaking eighty nine. So yeah, we were. When, when they first moved up there, they moved, Hot Water moved to Gainesville like couple, like six months before I did. And like by the time I got there, they had all started growing their beards. At the time, like Chuck, Chuck had the underbeard. Yeah. He had this big, gross oh, thing growing, and he had dreadlocks. He had done dreadlocks. Rubello had a, started growing a beard and had, the hair was still down to his ass. Did he have hair down his ass? Yeah. Rubello had, he had the most longest, most beautiful Portuguese. I think. 
black silk. I mean, just yeah. beautiful hair. Like he could he could have been a. I don't, I don't remember him long. He hair could have been in finesse commercials. The first time I saw them play was Herbal with, Essence. First time I saw them play was with seaweed <laughs> at um, the old uh, uh, Covered Dish. Covered Dish, yeah. Did, did you go to that show? Yeah, with I was seaweed? there. That's when I first saw them play, and I came up to Chris afterwards. I'd never met him, and I'm like, and I and I hadn't been living up there that long. Yeah. And I was like, I was like. Um, I, I might have been living there a little while, but I hadn't gone to too many shows at that point. So I was going to school, but like, I'm like, man, you guys, I, I just I had to talk to the guy. Yeah, it's like one of those things. Like Drew DeMaio, when I saw Gus play back in you Denver, had to talk. I, I told my friend Chris Glean at the time. I was like, that I want to be in a band with that guy. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't meet Drew for probably like four more years, but I was like, you just see people and you're like. Man, those guys have it, and and that's how I felt about hot water music in general. Just watching them do their set, I was so proud that a band out of Florida was doing that. Was well. doing that. Well, I mean, they not were just workers, well. man. No, I didn't even know if they were workers. I'd never even seen them before. They I just, came, I just, hopes. I just was like, they had some talent that was like connected with me. That I was like, thank God, like people are doing that in Florida because yeah. this is something to be. Proud of, yeah, right? totally. And so I came up and said something to Chris about that, and you know, I was like, "Dude, you guys sound like something for a dad nasty and all these other." Did you awesome remind me of all this stuff? And Chris is like, "Thanks, dude. They were the nicest guys." Yeah. Chuck was like the nicest dude I ever met, and I was like, "Man, I really that they turned Gainesville around for me when I moved there at first. I thought it was a little." When I had gone to the hardback the first time or something, I thought, oh, God, this place is just a bunch of nut jobs. You know, like, you know, yeah. not, no offense to Dan Arkey, but yeah. it was like, you I know, mean, that's uh, when, that's it was when like, like Crazy Greg Moon and Dan Arkey. was playing yeah. Section 8, uh, Pink Lincolns yes. would be play there, yeah. like all that early. Yeah. Tom Miller used to do the butt art where he put his ass on yeah. paint and then okay, sell yeah. it. There was all that weird, like, kind of hardbacky <laughs> art stuff, and I was like, oh, boy, what am I moving? You know, I came from, like, the... I mean, those, they, yeah, they, yeah, those guys are... Yeah, yeah. they were very... They're way more artistic than what we were They were college yeah. and I was not used yeah, yeah, to college totally. you know? Yeah, yeah. And Hot Water Music wasn't college no, no. They were, like, where I came from, yeah. and they were. And you guys all came from that. You had your own scene over there, and, like, you know, when we all came to Gainesville, because the beautiful thing about Gainesville is nobody was from Gainesville, really. Yeah, the Every, most, yeah, yeah. Everybody brought an influence from their own Florida town, and that what created the whole thing and it took a little while to meld and I know that probably happens every generation there and there's totally. a generation that's there now I haven't been there in 10 years the music scene's doing great still so. of course and these kids probably think that, better, that they're so much better off than what we, they were back in, yeah, yeah. in 2005 and, or 1995 or you know they, everybody probably thinks their thing is some the shit. is yeah. the shit yeah and like um, I think my sh- my thing was the shit. And I still think <laughs> yeah. the people that are mine that are there are the shit. You yeah, know? and like they are because they're still there. Yeah, and like you know that's that says it a lot that like you know you got guys like like Var and like all that stuff still people who who, who are doing something, having families, yeah. buying yeah. homes, uh, becoming members of so of, cool. uh, of they're turning. I think that this generation, my generation, those those people that are, all these people are saying, we're, I think will be what changes Gainesville's political system in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, I hope so. I'd I think love, we I will. want Matt Sweeting to be mayor. 
That's what I was going to run for county mayor. commissioner. I'll run for county you commissioner. Matt Sweeney yeah. could be mayor. He could have that problem. Matt's just got that long flowing. Yeah, hair, he's got. He does have a nice. He's got a, hair. A, 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 the way a he stance walks, to him. Yeah, it's his walk. Yeah, it's very casual. See, that's the thing. You, want a casual you can't walk. have me be mayor. You're hunching I'm gonna, over. I'm going to walk up like I'm about to jump somebody, like I'm Silverback or something. You need to be the guy standing next to him. You're good cop, bad cop. Yes, exactly. That's what we need. I'll be. I'll be. I'll be Matt Obama. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's, Matt's, Matt to me is like he's like uh, what's his butt from uh, um, from Def Jam what's the guy Rick Rubin yeah, yeah Matt reminds me of like a Rick Rubin like he should be sitting out on his porch uh, meditating with, with his like, legs crossed legs. over wearing like a, a big <laughs> sheet diaper around him he will Matt will get there eventually yeah. hair growing out giant beard <laughs> he, you know sitting there on his porch giving an interview when he's like 55 years old talking about you know Def Jam but he'll be talking about like you know no idea no idea whatever, yeah. this kind of stuff that's that's Matt. Matt is our Matt's our Rick Rubin. Yeah, yeah. You know, he might not. He, you know, maybe Var thinks he's Rick Rubin yeah, because he's the, the guy. The record dude. Yeah. But Var is more like uh, uh, he's the Run the DMC's scenes. brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's behind more of the behind the scenes. Var is gonna be like, what the hell? If he listens, to this, <laughs> like, I am. Var is not gonna listen yeah. to this podcast. Hey, maybe. I hope so. Out? I mean, I want to interview him someday. Uh, I definitely have a lot of questions for him. Great guy to interview. Yeah. You know, and Matt, and Var probably thinks that like you know he's only like a year or two older than me or something, but he thinks, he probably thinks like, what I'm talking about is dated. He's like, yeah, well, yeah. what we did in 86 in Gainesville yeah. was way cooler cool. than what you yeah, guys yeah, did yeah, in 96 or 2006. So what, what was, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're getting towards the yeah. closing it down yeah. here. Um, one of the, well, I'm going to, this will be my like last question about Gainesville. Um, and then I'll just have a couple of silly questions I want to ask. Um, what, what did you gain most quickly? One, what did you gain most from being in Gainesville? Two, how much did the artist, art, artistic ability of all those around you help you with your art? And three, your number one or your favorite Gainesville band? Okay. I can only do two questions at a time because my memory. I okay. Don't have it. No, I'm just kidding. The first one. Uh, yeah, tell me the first one again. Three is too high. No, um, what did I... What did you get from Gainesville? Get from Gainesville would be um, uh, uh, the true sense of community that like, I think I was always searching for. Okay. It's almost like people get that fake sense of community on Facebook. I think people like get on Facebook and they want to look in their little thing and they want to feel connected. Even their own little yeah, world. Even the kids that they met that they haven't talked to in 30 years from elementary school or whatever, you know, you meet back up with them and you check every day on the people that are active up there. Yeah, yeah. You feel that little community. Um, but, uh, and it's great, but it's not in depth like it is when you live in a town for 10 years. Yeah. And you really make connections with people. And maybe, I don't even know, it's not like, you know, when you're growing up and you're a kid, you know the names of your friends' parents. You know, you're like, oh, how's, you can meet your one of your old friends from high school and you're like, how's Bob and Judy? You're talking about yeah, their yeah. parents. You know, I couldn't tell you the names of half my friends' parents from Gabriel. But I know, I know about a little bit about all of them. Yeah, I know yeah, a little yeah. bit you about your about family. Background, yeah. I know about Matt's family. I know about Drew's family. I know about, I know like all these folks from there. I know all about the Against Me Dudes families. Yeah. I know about all that stuff. But it's, I did, we were older, so I didn't like grow up as a kid and influenced and felt like I wouldn't go eat over dinner over at their parents' house. Right. You know what I mean? But I've got this adult sense of community that you didn't. That's where I gained my first 
independent, like adult sense of community. Yeah. Outside of being a kid and feeling like a kid, felt like an adult, yeah. being an adult and making our own world. And um, I don't know if that you can do that in a town like we're like here, yeah, a podunk country town in Virginia, or if you can do that without living in a college town even. Like, yeah. You can do it in New York and stuff, but even there you're like almost like overwhelmed, you know? I mean, yeah. I know that people do it because they find it's their little... inundated. Yeah, they find their little areas. Clicks in their areas. But I think that like people in New York City that are from Gainesville hang out with people from Gainesville all day. And then they make, they make New York friends, they make people from, meet people from around them. And eventually they... Probably... They, they, fade. They, they, they fades. fades out. Yeah, yeah. They still have their friends, but I think a lot of those people that are even there or here or wherever have all gained their sense of community from, by, from living there. It was okay, a that's a beautiful good place to, to be there. And the second one about the art. Um, what was that one? That was what? What was what artistic? Like what art? I guess what artistically did you maybe leave? Gainesville with like what did the how what kind of influence did that artistic yeah. ability that everybody around you have how, what kind of well, what did you this. pull I'll away from this. it and how did it affect you it opened my mind up um, to a lot of different types of let, let's say punk rock music and stuff yeah. like that um, you know I've always listened to an eclectic group of everything but um, um, really actually if it wasn't for Gainesville I think I wouldn't have been introduced as much to like let's say alt country and like stuff like that like whiskey uh, whiskey kind of man yeah. come on that was so cool that like we all kind of you know guys listen to like um I don't know, like Whiskey Town or whatever, and like yeah. those bands, and then like got and got little influenced by the country thing, and then guys like John Gaunt, like people come in there and like that that really shout out, yeah, like that knew about What's up, it, Fiddler? yeah, that could play the fiddle and, compl- and like could, a bad motherfucker, yeah, yeah, like Charlie guy, Daniels, yeah, guys like picking up the banjo and and picking up acoustic guitars yeah. and really like embracing something new and like so that inspired me to always be open-minded to whatever I think is exciting artistic. Right. You know, like before I lived there, I would have, you would have said, what kind of music do you like to do? And be like, I like everything except for country. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then now I'd be like, I like everything that sounds good. You know what I mean? I shoot, I'm not going to, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to admit to what I listen to with having a bunch of teenagers, yeah, yeah. but I know all about, uh, you know, Demi Lovato and like all of these horrible things. I know the lyrics the to a lot of those songs, shows, yeah. you know, I'm not going to feel guilty that I have to, uh, I, you know, I'm Dude, somewhat take... forced and I'm somewhat like, I listen I'm like, to Rihanna hey, all the time. Yeah. I'm put on some side, put on some Rihanna or whatever. I know I'm, I'm like, I'm like a diamond in the sky. I get it. But I, <laughs> Ooh, but, under your umbrella Ella <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but look dude I would have if I if I hey if you know if I hadn't left Gainesville I would have never probably learned about that kind of stuff yeah, I would have been so closed off I had never listened to the radio and I didn't know anything about like yeah. that kind of stuff for a long time so moving that even helped you yeah man and kids sure you know it just keeps me open minded that's yeah. artistically I am so All last right. thing is like a favorite Gainesville band yeah what was just, what, what band like okay this is I'm not giving this to you as a thing you go ahead and tell me what your band is and then well Well, somebody just recently put a thing on Facebook where it was like list your top whatever bands bands in Gainesville and I'm like can't dude like don't can't too many. I just wrote Top the get three. down, the get down, the get down, yeah. the get down, the get down. That's what I wrote yeah. on mine. I, don't, I mean, I don't know hey, if anybody else is. You know, the, the town, the band I enjoyed the most was me doing the volume four in Black Sabbath. I mean, because okay, that was my own personal indulgence. So, yeah. like, man, I loved I enjoyed it. doing that with I you loved stuff it. too. The pyrotechnic so stuff great. that we did was, which you probably could not get away with doing now. Yeah, no. 
Because people would think you'd be buying bomb equipment or well, something you know, the way we yeah, were, well, you know, you buying know, the gunpowder separately. Most people don't know that. Lighters. Most people don't know that I had a uh, little East Coast tour um, that I had, was working on and connecting the dots to, and we were going to go on tour, and you were going to come with us, <coughs> and we were going to do pyrotech and go into like these little clubs, and we had I had bought pyrotech cannons and confetti cannons yeah. and all that stuff we used that one night yeah, like yeah. Joaquin Phoenix was there, and, and we had all that stuff. I still have it. And, and and we 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 were we had all this cool stage uh, theater equipment that I bought yeah. to blow stuff up in smoke machines, and then um, then that great white show happened and all those people died up in Rhode Island oh, yeah. and killed everybody and it went, dude I swear it happened like like two months before and they were like, we were gonna tw- we were gonna idea. go yeah and I'm like and I'm like man that was our whole thing I wanted to like go into these clubs and like just blow I wasn't gonna blow like their fire minds. yeah we just wanted to blow shit Give up. Them, like. Yeah, Something. like we're this mini black, real Black Sabbath with like a pyrotechnic show in a show that only holds like fifty people yeah, yeah, yeah. in somebody's basement. Yeah, you know we were gonna like like where where Floor used to come and smoke out the utility house. And Dude, the smoke I used machines. to love that. Yeah. We were gonna do that with all these flash cannons flash. and all that crap that we yeah. had confetti and and you know we had all that we were throwing bags of powdered sugar around when we were playing um, Snowblind, you know what I mean? And it would be sticky. My guitar would be ruined the next day. And we were just throwing powdered sugar around like it was cocaine. Like, it, like just the fun. It was going to be shit. so fun, dude. And then those guys went and did that. And I was like, we can't do any of the pyrotech yeah, stuff. And it like, been, it, it just wouldn't have been allowed after that. Yeah. It fell apart. So like my favorite band there, I mean, I had so many. I, yeah. I really, I, I, I would, could name, uh, there's bands that, here, there's bands that are still on my iPhone that I listen to every day, which would be like Against Me, The Deltones. Um, Bill. Uh, well, I, yeah, I love the Beltons, man. Uh, underrated, you know. Yes. I still listen to AFR. I still listen to um, uh, Hot Water. You know, I still. I mean, there's there. I, I man, I don't want to. Is there any bands out, like, that were pre you, like before you came into town that were there? like for you know, me, like Green and like those guys? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, um, uh, what's it's a good call? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those those bands here. Spoke. I, I got to I, me. Spoke, I got the when I like yeah. just to, sorry to interrupt. No, do it. To me, spoke. Was to me for some reason. Every time I hear "Spoke," they're the antithesis to me of Gainesville. Yeah. For some reason, yeah. some in the music, just like Hot Water Movie, yeah. had become that. They create. They they put a. They had. They were the foray into what we developed. They put exactly. the jangliness into, into hardcore, the, and they did it they did. so well. Yeah. And and yeah, they didn't right. sell out. Yeah. They, what they, we would cons- what we kids today call yeah. selling out. They yeah. didn't. Okay. Here's a, here's a story, folks. Spoke was going to get signed by a major label. Supposedly, or we're supposed to meet with a major label. Uh, they send Spoke, these guys, a new, like a um, thing in the mail. Hey, come to California. Do, 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 do. We'll do lunch. You know what their answer was? They made a peanut butter jelly sandwich, put it in the envelope, and sent it right back to the record <laughs> label. And then they broke up a month later oh, or something like God. that. So that's how you do it, punk yeah. rock style. Right. You know, they played. And then when they, it seemed like when they got to a point, they're like, okay, that's good enough. Yeah. We made we made the impression. It seemed like they made the impression that they wanted to make, and they were good. They were fine with that. Yeah, yeah. and that's why I, hey, I think you know, they're kind of an antithesis of what Gainesville to well, me. I don't know. I think a lot of guys are happy with just leaving a little mark. Like I always yeah. felt like I always felt like um, I always felt like Straight Force Diablo and Drew and like that whole Amazing sound band. that they had um, could have gone so much further. Or as friends, Russ. Crazy when, look, more. Look, hey, here's a story that most people don't know about. When when I was touring with Against Me, we listened to as friends, Rust, uh, uh, the uh, Parlance album. Yeah. Um, we listened to that one on repeat constantly. We were like, I I I, I kind of turned them onto it, and yeah. and we were obsessed with it. I think those guys. I know that like Tom Rankin and stuff. 
they didn't think it was their best work. I think it was one of the best records that ever came out of Gainesville. People probably hate me for that, and because it was very listenable, it was radio friendly. I thought, dude. So, yeah. anyways, we were we were sitting down. Against me was going to get signed to a major, and we were meeting with all of these major labels, and they're courting the band around. And I sat down with the guy from Universal Records, and I and I said to him one night, and I told I told the band, I was like, I'm going to say this, I'm going to tell them that you guys assign only if they release the AFR record on a major label also. And Asmund's Rest had broken up like two years before. Yeah. And this record was over. But it, I was like, this did not such, get it, what it, it deserved. Need, yeah, it needed more push. It needed, it needed to be listened to by Americans because it had a lot of political stuff that he that Damien had written in this record and and real good personal stuff. Yeah. And I was like, so I told them, I was like, and I did. We sat down to dinner one night and we were in like Charlotte, North Carolina, like a big Hyatt and yeah, yeah. whatever. And, I, and I'm like, um, and I brought that up. And, and of course, they didn't really, they didn't know what the hell I was talking about. And I, I was kind of, it was more of a joke. But at the same time, I was like, seriously, look into this band. And I was hoping that maybe something just by me would mentioning just, would come out of it. But yeah. nothing did. But, you know, I I think that, um, that what you said, that band made their statement and they dissipated and became other things, you know. that happened. This happens with a lot of stuff, you know. Some people don't write it out. I think like with Hot Water Music, they're... they're persistence of being musicians you know and turning and not stopping 21 years like, on the yeah, road yeah same thing with against me same thing with like laura and yeah. grace and same thing with people keep working at it if you want to do it you can do it forever and you can make your mark and you can be happy with that if you're the guy from green maybe you just wanted to go to college and yeah. do a thing and whatever but look at look at dave and 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 uh um uh like other guys that had been there for uh Dave Rome, you know, yeah. like other guys that have been there for a while, they just can't stop playing. I mean, yep. Dave's like got his life and career going and everything. Yeah, and he and, and they and can't that, give that up. That like, band has played seventy thousand last shows right. in the past and, twenty and years. Why would you stop? It's it's ridiculous. It, too. And they don't need to be rock stars on MTV nope. or whatever. There isn't even MTV anymore. Whatever, there need to be or anything on. They're, they're, on they are, or they are respected musicians among, amongst their peers. It's all about that's what it's fun. about and you having know, fun. I'll give it. I'll give it that. Those guys are um, one of my favorite bands to come out of there also okay. just because of the fact that they've created what I always think is a joy, a happiness when I would see them. It's almost like seeing Asshole Parade. Yeah. I never saw an Asshole Parade where I didn't show where I didn't crack up and laugh. Yeah, dude, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's a smiley. There's so many I could think back that were just amazing. You know yeah. what I mean? Watching, seeing Travis Johnson like smiling as Travis Skin is like losing his shit on the floor. You know what I mean? Like it was... Fun. Everybody yeah. knew it was it was fun. In a two-minute I mean? avalanche of sound. Oh god! Dude. I mean, there's so many bands, and I don't want to leave anybody out. I loved. Everything. I think that. I, I, yeah, I but know. Yeah, it's for all, sure. It's all just one big mix. So as far as if I want to say the, the most fun I had was playing on a stage. You know, okay. so I like doing the Black Sabbath stuff. That was like my most. That was my favorite. Yeah. Thing. And as we bring this to a close, and I want to say, um, I want to give a special thank you to Ravens Brew Coffee here in Culpeper, Virginia. <laughs> Uh, the little tag on their coffee cup is the last legal high, nice. which, uh, you know, there's going to be some highs that'll yeah, be legal pretty for soon now. for everyone. Yeah, for now. <laughs> for now. That's what it should say for now. Talk about that for now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Until, but, um. Yeah, we were opening a branch in Colorado. We had to remove all that from our <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Cups. So I just want to say thank you again, Brian, so much. Uh, thank you for opening your home to me. Uh, like I said, I've always... Um, seeing you as a brother I want to say thank you 
for all your sacrifices that you've ever um, given up. You've given up a lot for your art. Uh, you've given up. You've, you've you put the time in. You've put the effort in. Um, I have much respect for you, and don't make me cry. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> It's just good, good to see you, brother. Good, man. And, uh... I'm gonna punch you. I'm gonna punch you. <laughs> You're gonna punch me. All right. Pops is, Pops is a pussy. Um, but no, thank you very much for being a family. It's all good, man. You know. And, uh, uh sorry. All, it's all... I had a penis in my throat, excuse me. <laughs> it was one with a heart. <laughs> yeah. tattooed on it, though. Yes, very loving, I know. It's a very, it's very loving, loving, gentle penis. It is. It's soft. Um, no, I want to say thank you so much. <laughs> for everything you've always been a great friend you've always been um you've always supported no matter what and like i tell everyone else um if it wasn't for you and your friendship i wouldn't be the person i am today so um thanks buddy yeah. so we're all we're all here to help each other out so. yep hey, and good luck on your road trip here this thank you awesome. i appreciate I, it i had a great time as yeah. always and um make sure andy tattoos you i will and Put again, this out ahead of time andy <laughs> yeah. you're gonna be hit up for a tattoo, <laughs> a tattoo. better be free bitch but um, no, I'm joking. Yeah, but again, time. thank you to Culpepper, Virginia. Um, had a great time. Thank you to Brian and his family, all of them. And uh, Beth, why not? Beth, why not? Beth, why not? The best. The best. Beth, why not? <laughs> and to the little tea monster. Oh yeah. And to the and other kids. Brent and Katie. I love you all. And um, you guys take care of yourself. And um, I'll catch you on the flip side, Brian. Right, man. This is Pops with the power of Pops, and I'm signing off. Y'all take care. Be safe out there. Peace. All right.